powered by the Perdomo Scar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Azle, Texas. Welcome to Primetime Special Edition 154. Tonight, we welcome Mike Copperman and Cody Carden of Scar Rights of America to our show. And as always, Special Edition is brought to you by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary blend requires tobaccos have been carefully hand-selected and a well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Scar is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo State Selection Vintage, the Perdomo 30th Anniversary, Perdomo Double H 12-Year Vintage, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Line, Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrel Aids, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Immenso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And we want to mention JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars, Cuba is a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastran Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Carajo from the original seeds, and in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Carajo back to the market. With over 50 years of experience in the tobacco business from growing and curing tobacco to scar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Carajo. Now with JRE Tobacco, Julio and who still bring their very own brand to market, and each contain that authentic Carajo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Sumatra. And each represent the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. They're available at your local retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that's tasted in every drawer. Of course, we want to mention Tobacalera USA, makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacalera USA, great things are happening here. And finally, we want to mention Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. This is a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The old Maduro Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for life celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer, and remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network shows, as well as the California Studios for the Thursday show, sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Special Edition 154. Today is Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. This is Will Cooper. I am here in the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage. And I'm joined in Cross Country by my good friend and colleague in the frigid Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Azel, Texas, Mr. Bear DePlissy. Uh, good evening, Coop. It is a frigid night in Texas. 
Uh, I would say that it's the coldest night that I've ever done a podcast, but that was two nights ago when it was eight degrees outside. So that was nice. Um, it is a it is a balmy now. It is a balmy uh, 19 degrees Fahrenheit or freedom degrees, as our good friend uh, John McTavish would say. Right. Right. Freedom uh, degrees. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, which begs the question, uh, what is the coldest temperature that you have ever smoked a cigar in? You know, the coldest temperature I've been in is minus 15. But I've not. I don't think I've smoked a cigar, maybe under thirty-five degrees. I, when it gets to that freezing mark, I just. I don't. I can handle the cold. I just don't enjoy a cigar at that point. It just uh, hurts, right? It, it's like it, hot wings that are too fucking hot. It, it's like, like I love that, a good hot that, wing. It's usually dry out. I have gloves on, so I just. It feels different because I'm not touching the tobacco leaf, you know. So it, it is. It's just not an enjoyable experience. I, I have smoked cigars in the aftermath of a blizzard, but it, it's, you know, it was high thirties if I did that. Um, and sometimes when the sun's out, it's fine. When the sun's not out, it, it's, it's absolute misery. So I, I don't really enjoy it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like, I equivocate smoking in too cold weather to like eating hot wings that are too fucking hot. Like I love a good hot wing and I can go super hot. Right. But then there's like the hot that's just painful. And it's like, why am I even eating the wing anymore? Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's true. You know, I was just, you know, we'll get to our guests in a second. But, I, you know, I was in Tampa and it did dip into the high 40s. So I was. um Might as well have been 18 degrees in Tampa. Jesus. But I was un- but I was unprepared for it. That was the problem. No, I'm saying like that's fucking cold in Florida. Yeah. So Trip, you know, Trip now, our, our new teammate, he lives in uh, Florida. He came up to meet us at Arnold Serafin's on Saturday with Jose. And he didn't have a jacket, right? So he went, he lucky there's places around there to go buy like a, a sweatshirt and a jacket. And he did. And apparently the thing they said, to, they said to him is they said, you must be from Florida. And he's like, how did you know? He says, yeah, because anyone from Florida wouldn't have had a jacket today. So, so they knew right away with that. That's funny. That's funny. Oh right. man. Good times. Yep. So, Bear, uh, yeah, no, we'll get into some more of that a little later, but I want to get our guests uh, right in here because we have two really special guests tonight. Um, and I think we're really both excited to have these guests. So um, I'll do the intro tonight if you're okay with that. Please. All right. We have, um, representing Cigar Rights of America, we have Mike Copperman and Cody Carden. Gentlemen, welcome to Primetime. Thank you. It's an Thank honor. You. Yeah, happy to be here. No, we 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 appreciate it as well. Um, it's uh, I know you, the three of us have had a couple of conversations over the past few months. I've really enjoyed talking to you, and I, uh, I'm I'm very grateful that you guys made the time for the show. I know I was trying to get it earlier, and I I did have a personal thing come up that I I couldn't do a show, so I appreciate you guys uh accommodating. And and Mike, congratulations by the way, because uh now you're on as the executive director, so uh, well earned. And uh, we're, we're, I think we're all really happy uh, to see you in that role. Hey, thank you, Coop. And thank you for the nice piece that uh, you ran. Uh, much appreciated. We, we appreciate it as well. Um, and, and, you know, Bear, I know you're meeting these gentlemen for the first time. Um, but uh, I think I know I know Bear. And I think uh, Bear will probably be equally as happy uh, uh, of this of this appointment. So. Uh, yeah, this is fantastic. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. I've actually I, I haven't met Mike officially, but I was I've been on a couple of CRA calls where he was obviously a, a 
you know, a key, <laughs> a key, a yeah. key piece in that and everything. Like, so I'm, I'm so excited again, congratulations to you, Mike, uh, well-deserved and, uh, we're excited to, uh, we're excited to have, uh, have you, you know, officially in the role that you've been, been doing and, and Cody's on board now as well. So this is, we're really excited about the future of CRA. I know I've been a, a huge proponent of it and yeah. we'll talk about my days of actually handing out flyers, uh, um, door to door, uh, for, uh, for CAR back, yeah. CRA back in the day. It was a fun time. Hey, well, thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you, Bear. Awesome. We have to take care of one piece of housekeeping first. So, Bear, we are going to do the ritual, right? Of course, of course. Okay. So, gentlemen, uh, we have to just figure out what Bear is going to smoke tonight. So, this has been a little tradition. So, our guests kind of help us along. So, Bear, I'll turn that piece over to you. So, uh, Cody, Cody, with all respect, I thought in you know in, in a nod to Mike's new appointment and congratulations to him. I would let him do my the honors of choosing my first cigar, but I would like you to choose my second cigar. So I'll come to you in just a moment. But uh, Mike, I have some choices for you as tradition here uh, on Cigar Creek Privatized Special Edition. I'm going to give you some choices and I'm going to smoke whatever you whatever you pick for me. So I'm looking forward to your choice. Um, so I have some cigars here for you to choose from. So uh, I have uh, my number one cigar of the year uh, that was named just a, uh, a little over a week ago, uh, the Gran Habano 20th Anniversary El Sueño. Uh, I have Coop's number one cigar of the year, the My Father Lubijan 1922 100 Años. Uh, I have always a fan favorite and a special gift from my friend uh, uh, Jay Davis over at Blue Smoke, who's tuning in tonight, and a CRA member for almost for over a decade. Uh, the Fuente Fuente Opus X, uh, Destino del Siglo uh, Lancero. Uh, a fan favorite of both Coop and I's as well, Adventura Queen's Pearls Robusto. And... Um, Steve Saka's Sober Mesa Brulee Blue. So I will smoke whatever you choose, sir. The honor is yours. Ah, uh, well, I I know well four of, of the five uh, blenders you mentioned. Uh, the, the fourth cigar I'm not as familiar with. Uh, and two of those cigars are in my uh, amongst my my very favorites. Um, so th this is actually easy because the, the Destino. Uh, I, I count amongst one of the best cigars I've ever had. And uh, that would be my, my choice for you. Fantastic. Did you hear that, Coop? He chose I, a Lancero. I, guess what? I got one of those this weekend and smoked it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a very good it's a very good Lancero. I, I've always thought it is the most elegant Vitola mm. in the classic Cuban uh, pedigree. And uh, I, I was chagrined uh, to see it lose favor over the years, but it's had some recent uh, attention again. Uh, so I'm, I'm very pleased. But I, I love that size. Fantastic. Um, for Coop, the reason I was uh, lot, nodding some, uh, some smoke at Coop there is because uh, he, him and I go back and forth on uh, the battle between the Lancero and he's a 60 gauge guy. He's a big gauge smoker. So, him and I do battle over. We like both. We like cigars and both. That is an incredible Lancero, though. I'm going to tell right. you because I was gifted Damn one straight. of those over the weekend. So, uh, yep. So Fantastic. very fortunate. It was really good. So, Cody, what would be my ne my next cigar? The uh, My Father Lubaju 100 Años Gran Habano 20th Anniversary Adventura Queen's Pearls or Sombra Mesa Brulee Blue. 
Well, uh, you know, it's counterintuitive uh, to to start out with what I'm going to say you should go with, but uh, I'm going to choose the uh, the Dunbarton uh, Tobacco and Trust uh, Sober Mesa Brulee Blue, just because I've been enjoying the hell out of a lot of stuff that Steve's been making uh, lately. I mean, he's always been a fantastic blender and coming out with some phenomenal cigars. Uh, so that's my choice for you tonight. I know it's more on the mild side. But uh, that's what I would go with. And I tend to like more mild cigars to begin with. But that's uh, the phenomenal cigar. Fantastic. Looking oh, forward to it. They're two great choices, man. You can't, I, I'm actually already lit up. I'm, I'm smoking the Diamante, Monte Cristo and Diamante. So, uh, so I picked one of these up over the weekend. All right. So let's kind of go. Let's get our audience to know uh, Mike and Cody a little better. In uh, this time, we'll start. We started with Mike a couple of times already. So, Cody. Why don't you introduce yourself, uh, what your role is, and a little of your background of how you got the CRA? Yeah, sure, Coop. Happy to do that. Um, so uh, I've been uh, with CRA this year, um, will be my uh, 12th year with them. Uh, prior to that, um, I worked on the uh, Hill here in Washington, D.C. for a couple of members of the United States Senate. And after that, um, I was doing agriculture and international trade um, in the specialty crop arena out of California. Um, and that was sort of my natural transition to uh, a CRA um, when uh, Mike and I sort of teamed up uh, in 2012 to start um, uh, this whole legislative endeavor. Mike had already started it, and I was the second person to join um, the charade um, of fighting uh Congress are fighting in Congress against FDA regulation of premium cigars. But uh, now um, I sort of uh, continue the work on the federal side while uh, managing um, all the communications for CRA and handling the state level uh, uh, lobbying for the organization. Very nice. Very nice. Mike, how about you? I mean, I know you have a long history in, in the tobacco business. Yeah, I started in 1994, same year as Lito Gomez. And I mentioned that because I'm, I'm really looking forward to celebrating his 30 years at uh, Pro Cigar. And I, I was a tobacconist for 17 years uh, here in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, I own a shop that is uh, still going strong uh, on its uh, fourth owner. Uh, and I had the, uh, the fortunate uh, pleasure of being near the National Institutes of Health, which meant that I could go to the Library of Medicine each day and study all of this epidemiology on cigars. And in, invariably, it kept appearing as though we had the mortality and morbidity arguments on our side. At the time, uh, no one ever made health arguments. Uh, we were told absolutely don't do it. Uh, a, it won't work, and B, it will likely do damage. And uh, not only did we do it to effect at the level of uh, municipal and, and state in Montgomery County, Maryland, and in the, uh, Annapolis, in our capital, uh, but I was asked by uh, a grandfather and godfather to many of us in the BW corridor, David Berkebeil of Georgetown Tobacco, uh, with whom Cody's also uh, very close. Uh, to join the board of the predecessor to PCA, IPCPR. And I uh, had introduced the first state pack in Maryland and then the first pack at IPCPR. And uh, we're just now launching uh, 
the fourth pack, uh, second uh, for CRA, a first direct pack for CRA. And uh, it's been uh, 30 years uh, in October. So it's mind boggling how, how fast uh, that time travels. But I'm very proud of the work that we as an industry have done. And we've really gone from being in a, a protective, reactive crouch uh, to a proactive uh, position uh, where I think we're at a exciting juncture right now. But one that we all can be proud of. Uh, Mike, that's a great comment you just made. Uh, thanks for that background about how it's you guys are making this move to a proactive state because I've because we've all seen a lot of the reactive state and it's it's now great to we to see this kind of uh shift to the proactive mode here um and I think it's it is going to carry uh, the efforts you all are doing to the next level so uh, uh, bravo on that really bravo to kind of uh, get to that point and obviously do that thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we started, I think, in earnest organizing in and around 2007 uh, when we first uh, learned of the proposals for the Children's Health Initiative in the Senate that mm -hmm. would have applied a $10 per cigar tax. Uh, at the time, we looked and of the nine subcategories of tobacco, eight of them. Uh, had a middling cigar tax increase. One, premium hand-rolled cigars had a historic breathtaking uh, raise, even after it was negotiated over many months and many visits on the Hill uh, to the current state, which is 40 uh, cents and change per stick. It still was a 700% increase, and it still was the largest increase in IRS history. But what it did for us was really galvanize our efforts. And it began the process of this proactivity. So SCHIP, I think, was, in a sense, a boon for us because uh, it aligned us. And it represented uh, the, the formation uh, a year later of Cigar Rights of America. Was was SCHIP in young... You know, when S-Chip happened, this, this was right when I was starting to get in. Was S-Chip kind of a reality check for the cigar industry, like in terms of, you know, hey, th this is serious stuff now. We have to get organized. Is, is that ultimately what led to the formation of CRA? Yeah, uh, spot on. Uh, absolutely. You know, being the one area that got tattooed, uh, we realized that the distinction between those eight subcategories and us wasn't merely the increase, but rather the cause. They had varying levels of interest and advocacy and representation uh, here in Washington, D.C., and we did not. So that was a real rude awakening as to uh, what we had to do. And what we did was essentially uh, create a, a three-pronged strategy that included legislative efforts, regulatory outreach, and preparation for legal suit. And just a quick word on that, uh, because many folks may not recognize that in 2022, when Judge Maida found the Food and Drug Administration to have acted in an arbitrary and capricious fashion, 
we had anticipated that many, many years earlier. Now, we knew it was almost impossible to attain. Long ago, uh, the uh, judiciary branch deferred issues of regulatory assignment by Congress to the executive branch in a way that they would defer. And you really have to have egregious activity for judges to arrive at an arbitrary and capricious finding. And even though we knew it was a long shot, we were uh, assiduous in accumulating a formal record of science, in hiring epidemiologists, toxicologists, and making the best arguments. And given that we were so small, as I'm sure your folks are aware that uh, tune in, uh, there are roughly a third of a trillion cigarettes produced for domestic consumption. And there's roughly 15 billion cigars, of which our category, I believe, were around 415 million imports. So we're not just tiny compared to tobacco writ large in the United States of America, but even within the cigar category. And uh, given that, unlike larger interests that for decades had their own institutes and would create their own research, and when they'd lobby, they'd say, dear government, our research is better than yours, and here's why. We didn't have that luxury. So we had to use National Cancer Institute, Monograph 9, which was a meta-analysis, longitudinal studies that were harmonized together. 1998, we used NIH, we used the uh, Center for Disease Control Youth Risk Surveys. We essentially used the government's arguments. And uh, we found a gentleman who used to run the National Cancer Institute, he put together a, a team of scientists. They reviewed the data and they affirmed what we thought uh, we saw, which is that premium cigars at the population risk level, which is the area by which FDA is mandated to consider whether or not to uh, regulate the category, that we didn't have youth access and initiation and uses issues. We didn't have mortality and morbidity issues at the population level that would warrant the deeming reg. And uh, we did not relent long after other subsectors of the industry said, you know, this is a done deal. And this happened during the Trump administration. They said, there's no chance of ever having your exemption. That train is long left. We never gave up. And uh, we have a team both in-house and through our consultants that have worked with us for years I assert it's the finest team, uh, not just in the world of tobacco, but I think in D.C., the, the lobbyists that we have also work for household names like Nike and Microsoft and SpaceX. And they're really the finest talent that you can buy. But even more importantly, they're all cigar guys. And they believe not just in the, uh, the finished product, uh, but it's the underlying meaning that drives us. You know, it's what cigars represent. It's the community. It's the love. It's the passion. It is the idea that many people today doubt ever even existed of the melting pot. And anyone who's a cigar guy knows that the notion that people from all walks of life not only don't get together today, but never did, is just absolutely uh, a BS. Uh, you know, we enjoy that every day in the cigar shops uh, that we tend to. And, you know, they're extensions of family. Uh, but uh, 
it, it's been a, a real privilege uh, to see from Alpha to Omega, from the beginning to the end of this chapter, not just a rule, but the formation of an actual center for tobacco products at FDA. And we've had a front row seat uh, every step along the way. So it, it's been quite a ride. I'm sure Cardi will, would agree. Yeah, it certainly has. It's uh, It's been a whirlwind over these last few years for sure. You, you know, uh, Bear, I think Bear, you're back, right? Because Bear's internet died for a second. Yes, perfect timing as so, usual. So. so I know, you know, we've done, we've talked a lot about this over the years, Bear and I, and uh, he always said when, uh, in terms of grading, how everyone did with this, if, if the, if the deeming rule got thrown out, he'd give out the A, and he did give out the A. So um, a, a job well done with that, because Bear was holding back that A right until the judge actually ruled with so, that. I was dying. I was dying on the hill, man. It was dying on the hill, but it, it it got done. I mean, hats off to you, gentlemen, and all the amazing people the team you assembled. Really, the team really, you were a part it, of. Yeah, it it was something exciting to see for sure. Thank you. And as you all well know, uh, the FDA is appealing. Uh, mm -hmm. The decision. Uh, we're confident that uh, the uh, vacator will be upheld. The judge in the case is uh, renowned for his conscientiousness and for being meticulous. And this is not about the substance of the case, but rather the process. Uh, but with that said, uh, we're running scared as though uh, we won't win, which is the proper uh, attitude and, and temperament to uh, confront this with, we have uh, excellent counsel. Uh, the gentleman helping prepare for this is a former circuit court judge. And uh, again, I think one thing we've always excelled at is uh, putting together the finest teams of uh, talent. And I think we've done that again for this next uh, chapter in legal saga. Was it a surprise that the FDA went ahead with the appeal because I heard I heard the conference call with Michael Edney and stuff and it sounded like he didn't think it was going to happen. We talked to Glenn Loop from PCA he, and Josh. He, they didn't think it was going to happen and it happened. Were you surprised? Because I wasn't. I thought they, they would appeal it after all these years. Yeah, it seemed like it seemed like the obvious yeah. thing. It, it seemed it was so obvious weird. to us. Yeah. yeah. It seemed kind of weird that people were saying that there wasn't going to be an appeal. So uh, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, Every meeting we had was in preparation for it not to happen. Uh, I was surprised that it happened. So I would add the proviso surprised uh, with expectation. <laughs> and, and by that, I, I mean, uh, they don't have the science backing the decision by any standard of uh, fairness. They did act arbitrarily and capriciously. They did not consider the executive orders. They did not present the list of expenses and cost benefit analysis, nor did they list the ways in which the public policy health needle would be moved uh, at the population uh, level. Uh, one moment, there we go. I lost my lighting there. Uh, thank you, Cody. Uh, furthermore, uh, they didn't use the evidentiary standards that was incumbent upon them to use. So they were supposed to have used what we refer to as a population risk standard, 
which takes into consideration the statute, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, these two executive orders, uh, and the idea of having a public benefit that can be justified by expenses and cost-benefit analysis. They moved the goalposts between 2014, the moment in which they did the notice of proposed rulemaking in 2016, when they finalized the rule. They went from population risk to individual hazard. So in the former, the onus is on the agency to make the case that we ought to be regulated. In the latter, which they used without any precedent in any center and without any mandate, is that the onus was on industry to show that in any circumstance, there is never harm. That is an impossible uh, threshold uh, to live by and to make the case for. So I, I could talk for another hour of all the ways in which they didn't follow their own rules. So yeah, to that extent, we were surprised. But the reason we prepared for other was we know full well that that conclusion is based upon logic and it grants them the assumption of fair play. And we know that that doesn't necessarily apply in, in Washington unless uh, you hold their feet to the fire. So yes, uh, I was surprised, uh, but we've prepared for it. We've got a great team. And one explanatory narrative that could serve to explain why they're doing it is that one of the cases we're tracking right now in the Supreme Court uh, deals with Chevron deference. And the idea that long ago, uh, justices defer to agencies to whom regulatory authority has uh, been uh, delegated. And when it comes to a rule that might be vague, they defer to the agency to offer an interpretation. If Chevron is reversed, and it's a distinct possibility, given the ways in which you have more free market pro-business conservatives on the court, uh, that could jeopardize uh, not merely Center for Tobacco Products and not merely FDA, but the regulatory state within the executive branch. And our arguments uh, dovetail at a larger level with some of these ideas that orbit Chevron. So it could be the case that there were much larger reasons that transcend tobacco that these decisions were taken. And that at least has made sense to the legal team uh, and mm -hmm. to our advisors with whom we've conferred, but it, it is a, a level of uh, informed speculation. I know that you were just mentioned about the, the, the courts, uh, the courts bias in, in, in this, the case that you're talking about, Mike, but Cody, I wanted to get your input here, uh, given your background in politics, had there, if there had been another party in uh, power in the executive branch, do you think that there would be this kind of legal posturing by the FDA with by filing the appeal? Or do you think they're filing the appeal either way? Just given your background and expertise in politics, I was interested to get the political perspective here. And, and I, I guess it depends uh, when you say another party in office, you know, what, what, you know, if by assuming Republican, I guess it depends on, you know, are we talking Republicans of old or the past Republican administration? Um, I think it's probably safe to say uh, that, you know, likely any Republican administration probably would not have pursued the appeal, in my opinion. 
Um, but I think it's sort of, uh, you know, whether that would have been the, the, the Trump administration or even the Bush administration, you know, uh, George W. Bush administration, I, I, I doubt they would have appealed it. But I think it goes back to the broader question is, is how concerned, um, you know, the courts or people in the court uh, in the government are with the whole uh, Chevron doctrine and the impact that this case could have on uh, uh, on just, you know, administrative law in general uh, here in the United States. So I, I would say that, you know, likely not. But, uh, you know, taking concerns with the Chevron doctrine, you very well could have seen an appeal regardless of who was in office. And Mike, back to you on this in particular with um, so were you saying that the onus is now on uh, the FDA to to make to make their case Um, given given our own tumultuous uphill battle that we were successful in? um, Is it not um, is it not possible, at least, although difficult, is it not possible, at least that, that they could they could do an equal equal climb up up the up the hill i guess if we're using the metaphor uh certainly uh i think it's it's not only predictable i think there's a very strong likelihood that in one way or another premium cigars will be redeemed uh it could happen in a sooner time frame where uh, they reverse the decision and uh, the appeal is uh, granted. Uh, it could happen uh, in perhaps a, a longer period of time, although still in the short uh, to moderate time frame, that we win vacator, it's upheld, and then they go back to the drawing boards and uh, redeem us. I think the ideal situation is that we have the vacator upheld and we enjoy a five to 10 year window mm-hmm. uh, in which time uh, we still closely track and monitor all of the tobacco t- standards that will continue to proceed, but we will be free from the regulatory schema. Uh, once again, we're running scared. We are acting as though we are either going to uh, not win. And by that, we're doing everything we can to win, but we're ready in the event that they redeem tomorrow. So what does that mean? As an example, uh, we will continue making docket comments on tobacco standards. We're continuing to monitor the global machinations of the framework convention on tobacco control, which dictates largely the movements and the initiatives that orbit this Uh, four pedestals of risk reduction uh, under the auspices of the World Health Organization under uh, United Nations. That framework convention on tobacco control, it was proposed in 03, ratified in 05, has become the world's most popular treaty in United Nations history. So of 192 sovereignties in the world, uh, 182 at minimum are now signatories. The United States did not sign on uh, due largely to the influence of big tobacco, but FDA has served as a de facto compensatory vehicle, amongst other things, to ensure these framework conventional tobacco control mandates are fulfilled. 
and it orbited tax schemas and smoking bans and prevention, cessation, and education efforts globally. Uh, but we continue to track those. Uh, we'll continue at the federal level on uh, tax threats. And of course, as uh, Cody can speak to, uh, the states are not only a big concern, but they will become an even greater concern with each ensuing year. Uh, states long withheld, kept their powder dry to see which way FDA went. But now that we have not a final, but enough of uh, an emphatic decision, uh, we're expecting a cascade or domino effect in the states for regulatory efforts. And we're seeing that increasingly in things like characterizing flavor bans that are so poorly worded uh, that they capture in their net premium hand-rolled cigars that are not flavored. And that's happening right now. uh, did I answer that uh, sufficiently? Yeah, I believe so. I yes. so Mike, Mike, I have so let me. I have a question here. So, appeal happens. Obviously, there's two things happen. The appeal uh, is rejected, um, or the appeal is upheld. So, take us through. If the appeal is rejected by the courts, and the courts say no, is that it? As far as this goes, this case goes. I know they can probably file another case, but is that it at that point? They, or can the FDA appeal again now to the Supreme Court? I'm not a judicial guy, so I'm, I, these may be silly questions I'm asking here. Yeah, so I, I would defer that to counsel, and I'm cognizant of wanting to stay within a certain corridor. I'm not an attorney, nor am I understood counsel that serves here. But let me answer in this way. Okay. That uh, my understanding is that for all intents and purposes, if the vacator is upheld, that will be it for this chapter. And I would add to it what I referenced earlier, that from the perspective of the court case, uh, which is the context in which you asked the question, yes, for all intents and purposes, that ought to be the end. Uh, however, as I said, they will come back and redeem. Yeah. So there will be a new chapter uh, where th- they likely will. Yeah. But I, I, I believe that uh, your understanding is the right one. Okay. And if, if we lose the appeal and we redeem, do we have a shot then to appeal it now, or is it that's it? I guess I'm just trying to figure out. Yes. Yeah. If where's we the lost path we go? Appeal, yeah. Theoretically, we could take it to the Supreme Court. Okay. But attorneys would tell you that if you just look at the quantity of cases that are proposed for court consideration and the amount that they select, while we feel we have an excellent case there's a very low probability that the case would be taken up because it's not adjudicated for selection on merely the merits of the case, but rather how it comports with the court's view and where they wish to be. And is it precedent right. setting? And, you know, sure. so sure. The, those politics uh, could be enough uh, to have us consider not doing it. But I can tell you, that if I had to guess today, uh, our guys are so galvanized and so passionate, as everyone listening well knows, that it wouldn't surprise me one iota uh, that if we took this every bit as far as it can. Understood. Understood as far as that goes. Um, you know, one more question I just have on on 
as far as the comment process. Um, that was another thing that the judge kind of looked at, right? And this is, and said that there were all these comments that were submitted, and basically the FDA ignored them. I mean, for all practical purposes, correct? Is, is that something that's correct that happened with this with the initial ruling by Meta? Yeah, uh, breathtaking. Uh, judge Meta references CRA by name in response to the assertion the Food and Drug Administration made. Not that there wasn't enough evidence, not that the evidence was scant, but they said there was no evidence submitted. As stated earlier, not only did I have a former National Cancer Institute director and a former director of NCI's uh, tobacco products lead the team that reviewed the government science, but we submitted a mountain of evidence. So to refer to that mountain as nothing is unbelievable. I mean, it's not just an act of omission. It's the most egregious act of commission you could possibly conceive of. So that was truly a surprise because we're accustomed, and for, forgive me for talking shop for a moment here, they commit routinely, not some, but every epidemiological flaw that exists from mis- extrapolation of data to not considering dose response or sample size or frequency of use or inhalation patterns or pH. And that's before you even get into the politics of the statutes. Uh, but having committed every epidemiological flaw, I never conceived of that they would make such an arbitrary and capricious statement or, you know, speaking plainly, an outright prevarication that we submitted nothing. So that one surprised me. That surprised me. I was flabbergasted through this whole process because, you know, again, I'm, I'm a cigar person who covers the industry, and I suddenly had to be put on a legislative hat, a civics hat. And yeah. I, it was eye-opening that this rulemaking can go on in this country the way it did. I mean, I saw this. I'm like, and, and, I, and I actually was wondering, is this going on all the time with re regulations? Because this this was just like absurd, absurdity. I mean, there's nothing else to say. Like, so, you know, a lot of ways, you know, it was this was just a complete eye opener. Wow, this could really happen here if we don't have our act together here. So it, it was definitely an eye opener to me. I, I did not know this. Uh, yeah. I learned this in civics in high school. I can tell you that. Yeah, there's a number of folks on both sides of the aisle constitutional scholars that bemoan one of the worst ills right now uh, that uh, Congress is under. In a word, it's delegations. So the Constitution is clear. Only Congress can declare war. It's been delegated to the executive branch since World War uh, II. Uh, only Congress has the power of the purse strings delegated to the executive branch, where they routinely now uh, take decisions, particular since rules uh, about four Congresses ago uh, in the name of transparency and the bridge to nowhere, if you recall, that got rid of discretionary spending yep. and it only inflated and empowered executive privilege. The last, and by our estimate, the worst of these delegations is embedding deeming regulations in laws passed by Congress so that, so that yep. the executive branch is essentially writing laws. So just to give you some perspective, the Competitive Enterprise Institute issues an annualized report card, and we've had uh, the pleasure of working and getting to know and smoke cigars 
with a number of these think tank analysts uh, at CEI, uh, for every law Congress passes today, the executive branch is passing 30 regulations. So you can ignore the framers and the Constitution and pass laws as long as you just call them demon regs. When we started this, and for uh, Cody and I, it was 12 and 13 years ago with CRA, having opened up the office in D.C. in 2011, three years after our formation, uh, the ratio then was 11 to 1. So we're going in the wrong direction. And uh, it's unfortunately, to your question, uh, it's become the de rigueur. It's the common trope. And it's the normalcy that we encounter every day. But it's patently wrong and unconstitutional. Yeah. No, I see that. see that for sure. And we're, we've seen that pattern of it going up. Like, it, again, it's not we, – we talk about all the time, and the reason why I frame these questions, we talk about all the time how the cigars are the great equalizer and they're, they're a bipartisan issue. Um, but what, what you're talking about there, Mike, with uh, deeming regs uh, versus uh, legislative law being 11 to 1 back when we first started, now it's 30 to 1. We've seen that climb through two different two different uh, political parties in the executive office, correct? So that's yeah. we've seen it on both sides of the aisle. Oh, mo- most certainly. You know, it's it's unfortunately one of the things both sides agree on, uh, and it, it should be the the opposite. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. One of our great champions in Congress uh, for six Congresses has been uh, Mr. Bill Posey. And Congressman Posey used to have stacks of the Federal Register bulletins, which Cody will well remember. After they got, what would you say, Cody, probably five to six feet wide and uh, perhaps five, six feet high, they were threatening the structural integrity of the foundation of the House. And House admin and the uh, architect of the Capitol came in and said, you, you got to get rid of these of this pile because you're going to hurt our floors. Uh, but it, it, it's really a sad state of affairs. Sorry, just a lot of paper. paper. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of paper. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of paper. I was just like, I was like, yeah, I'm just trying to visualize that in my head. That's a... Easy. Yeah, well, I'm sure somewhere we can uh, we can find a, a somebody's got to have a picture. <laughs> yeah. but we'll we'll share it with you. But I mean, it was pretty impressive uh, the amount of paper that was uh, in Mr. Posey's office. Wow, and and uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's unbelievable. Jeez, jeez. All right. Um, as far as um, you you were also mentioning, I guess these things getting rolled into legislative efforts. I know sometimes that we've tried with some of these appropriations bills or whatever to try to put the exemption in that way. You know, that we've kind of also used that to our advantage. Is that something that that, that is, you know, something that's still a strategy, basically? Well, we're always looking for opportunities and approach. One challenge we have is that of the handful of 900-pound gorillas, uh, one is big tobacco. Another are the 42 NGOs, non-government organizations that comprise the tobacco control universe. And uh, by any metric, lobbyists, uh, the amount of dollars they put into advocacy efforts, they're two 900-pound gorillas, and they are 
firmly uh, aligned and entrenched against us. So when you go through the probes process, while we've been successful, which is a uh, in, in the assertion and manager amendments, which is a, a wonderful validation of how our small team bunches well above its weight, uh, it, it is a, a difficult road to help. Uh, I'll give an example. In one of the insertions that we had, and I won't mention the name, but a very large monolithic global tobacco interest uh, in turn put over 40 lobbyists on the street the next quarter. And just to give a sense of what we're up against, uh, there are interests that will have one event, this is just entertainment, in their hometown with a major country star and the catering budget is a larger number than the amount of dollars we allocate on an annual basis to lobbyists. That very same company might give $70 million uh, to one of the uh, national political uh, partisan organizations. And again, uh, it's a very difficult road. So we are still very much in that uh, arena. We will continue to be, we'll be continuing to look for every opportunity. Uh, but when we've been successful, because we've found the path, not in light of Congress, but using Congress for messaging and letters and uh, influence and touching pressure points to the administration. And that's been terribly effective. So these efforts, even when they don't succeed as uh, defined by having the legislative proposal uh, converted to law, they succeed in other ways that allow us to message and be effective. So yes, we're gonna keep trying. Uh, yes, we've been effective, but uh, we have serious serious opposition i could totally yeah totally understand that as well all right bear anything else on the court case we want to hit because i want to hit a few of the other things again i just i'm really fascinated and i'm just super excited to have both of these gentlemen here uh and, and cody your, your background uh working uh working on the legislative side with two senators is just really your experience is really fascinating yeah. to me from that perspective Again, I, I know that um, from that perspective, as far as like, you know, politicians getting involved in cases like this, and I know we've had support, you know, uh, uh, Mike mentioned the the relentless support of Bill Posey, and I know we've had a lot of advocates, uh, including uh, including Senator Rubio, who I know you didn't work for directly, but uh, but uh, some of the people you worked for were obviously his colleagues. Um, what, what kind of uh, resources or what kind of Political resources can uh, CRA, PCA bring to bear politically to aid in this particular case, if if any. I mean, I, if you're asking what you know, you know, weight, you know, members of Congress have at this point in the appeals process, uh, it's there's nothing. This is just this is purely up to the appeals court right now um, for them to. Uh, you know, examine, you know, it's important to remember what the appeals court is doing, that they're examining the process of how 
um, the made a decision came about. And that's, that's simply it. There's no new evidence. There's, there's nothing, there's no witnesses, nothing. They're just ruling on the process. And so at this point, um, you know, everything is before them, what they're looking at. So, you know, there's nothing that a Senator Rubio uh, could do or a Congressman Posey at this point. It's just, it's at the hands of the appeals court. A bear, may I add a, a few thoughts to that question? Please, absolutely. Please absolutely. Yep. Uh, the first being uh, some important dates, and then the second, uh, a response to what could people listening uh, do if they wish to do more. Uh, so with regards to uh, dates, January 31st, FDA is due to file substantive arguments in its appeal of Judge Maida's uh, vacator decision. March 1st is the deadline for the CRA reply brief to FDA's substantive appeal. And we've been very pleased to learn that while we paid for this last and successful leg, uh, PCA is committed to joining us in nice. this next chapter. Good and job. we thank them, our yeah. brothers and sisters at PCA for that. And then March 22nd, FDA reply brief regarding the CRA reply brief is due. Now, with regards to what could people do? First and foremost, uh, you know, for pennies a day, uh, invest $25, join Cigar Rights of America, and help fight this battle. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that I, as a retailer, uh, fought so hard, I hate, hate, hate being afraid. And every January, when Annapolis opened its doors for business, uh, and had a slew of proposals that always included a 70% uh, new tax on OTP. Uh, it made me sick and I couldn't sleep. Uh, and I found the only way to deal with the fear was to fight. Uh, by proxy, uh, you can invest $25 and directly you can fight by getting engaged with the grassroots. Uh, that you don't even have to join for. You could share your email and we'll invite you to any of the all appropriate uh, initiatives uh, in the states and at the federal level. But the other thing you can do if you want to do more and you already are a member of CRA is uh, take a check, uh, earmark it uh, to CRA legal fund. And whether it's five, 10, 50, $100,000, uh, send it in. 100% of those proceeds will go to any and all legal efforts. And, and that's just another idea. Uh, but it's a great question, and, and thank you for answering it. Yeah, no, it's good, Mike. And I think also we should mention the the CRA sampler packs, which, if you're a cigar enthusiast, right, these are awesome packs. And guess what? The money goes right back in for you guys into the coffer. Uh, the manufacturers they're donating special cigars, rare cigars. Um, the packs have really gotten good over the last few. They were always good, but the last few years, you guys have really gotten some great cigars in there. Um, and uh, I would encourage you if you you know get it from your retailer or find your retailer who has it because they're they're a great value. Um, and it and like I said, it really goes to a good cause. Yeah, thanks, Coop. There there tend to be either very limited editions or often, uh, Pete Johnson will roll out something new and it's only available in its inaugural expression in yeah. the pack yeah uh, or it'll be cigars that are only available in the pack without any intent of having uh it continue in the market so yeah. uh, it, that's a lot of fun and uh, uh cody uh, is you know 
we all are aficionados. We're all cigar nerds. Yeah. Uh, but I know Cody buys the pack uh, for many years, and uh, I know enjoys those. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they, it's yeah. a great, it's a great project that you guys yeah. have really taken to the next level in the past few years. And Coop, I'll just you know put this as a marker, not revealing any details, but you know, stay tuned. The next in the coming weeks, um, you know, we will be releasing uh, information about what will be our spring pack. So, um, that is something that will be on the horizon, uh, uh, you know, very soon on that front. Very nice, very nice. I'll and, also, uh, Mike ahead, mentioned, but... yeah, I was just saying, Mike mentioned that just the $25 a day. And, and I know that a lot of, you know, again, no, it's a year, a, annual year, $25, excuse me, for pennies a day, $25 a year. And I, I would also suggest to anyone who can out there, like I, it was, it was probably one of my uh, biggest uh, joys uh, a couple of years ago when I became a lifetime member of CRA and I was able to find fork over that $500 at the time for a lifetime of membership. Thank and you. that was, that was such a pleasure for me. Uh, and I know everyone can't do that, but if you've got, if you haven't, if you have enough uh, disposable income to, to pull the trigger on that and show that lifetime support, it's, it's, it is a badge yeah. of honor for me. Yeah. Uh, I guess, but it was also a real big pleasure to, to be able to fork over that amount of money yeah. at the time. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's, it, it just goes to show that, you know, the, the, the pennies help and, you know, we, we, we fought in, you know, an uphill battle all the way. And it was what, you know, many described to be an insurmountable challenge. And we, we met that challenge head on and, and it, it again, kudos to you gentlemen, uh, and the entire team that y'all had behind you and yeah. being able to do this. Um, but it's, it's the pennies that, that helped. And so whatever you can afford, whether it's the $25 or the 500, um, become a member of CRA or renew your membership today. Cause it's, it's, it's all going to this cause and, 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 and obviously it worked. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Bear. That was, Thanks, that was what was stated. Thank you very much. The other thing I'll just add into the, I tell people this all the time, when you get those alerts or you get those calls to action or, you know, petitions, Please do them, right? Because that's the that's our communication mechanism. So I know people like tell me they're sick of them, but I keep telling people you got to do them. Congress changes every couple of years, mm -hmm. new initiatives come in. It's it's so important as a member to do those calls of action. So do them. It's it's for everyone. It's easy to do. It takes it takes less than a minute. Hey, yeah. thank you, Coop. Yeah, Coop. Coop it, it... Oh, go ahead, Mike. Well, I, I was going to ask, uh, say your comment, and then I was going to ask uh, if you'd like to hear uh, of some of the work we're planning already for 24, I'd be happy just to spend two minutes and share uh, uh, some uh, of the initiative. Absolutely. I, I know Cody, go ahead, to Cody. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, no, you were just, uh, Will, you know, thanks for the you know, spotlighting that, you know, about the, the action alerts and everything. I mean, those are, are really crucial, whether it's at the federal level um, and increasingly what's going to become pivotal and, and most important is what's going on in, in the states. I mean, that's, as Mike alluded to earlier in the conversation, that's, you know, that's the proving grounds uh, of where the next uh, frontier in tobacco control is going to be at, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, flavor bills. You know, I, I was just thinking, you know, when you were uh, reading off your sponsors at the beginning of the show, you know, you make comments about some cigars that we know to be purely premium. But when you introduced, you know, saying that, uh, you know, I think it was the it was the the Drew Estate blackened 
um, that it had a, a, a note of chocolate or something like that. There are two bills out there right now, yeah. one in Colorado and one in Maine, that would explicitly ban the sale of the Drew Estate Blackened because you will said that you were reading the promotional that Drew Estate probably sent you and it would outlaw flavored cigars in these states just because somebody merely said that. The perception of what somebody might impart from enjoying a cigar uh, is merely the consequences of what could be a ban on those cigars being sold in Maine and in Colorado. And sort of the, the new big thing out there is the generational smoking bans, which is saying, hey, if you're born after, you know, arbitrary date, and in a lot of cases, it's somewhere around the 2007 to 2009 um, range at right now, you can never pick up a premium cigar legally even when you became of age. So, I mean, the States is where the battle is going to now. Um, so I would encourage people, like you said, when you see those action alerts in your States, do not pass them by because your members, the state house and the state Senate need to hear your voice to let them know that the legislation that they're pursuing both positive and negative, because there is positive bills that come out for premium cigars in the States, but it's important that your voice is heard on those issues. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the generational piece and and advertising. I do want to the advertising piece has actually been keeping me up at night on a lot of things. I'll I'll mm -hmm. hold off on that for a little bit because I know Mike wanted to go through some of the, the 2024 initiatives, and then I'll kind of yeah. dovetail into where I'm up at night about. I yeah, I have a, also a question too that kind of has me going, and actually one of our one of our listeners actually touched on it too. So Coop, why don't you go ahead, and then I have a follow up, please. Or right, you think I should do it now? All right. Um. So, so it's up. It's it's up. So to you here's what my fear. My fear is obviously you mentioned that ad that I read. Right. I I have a fear that they're gonna try to shut down advertising completely on me or shut down what we're doing tonight. Right. And my fear is I'm starting to see like in North Carolina this year. Okay. And I'm gonna get I'm gonna get I'm gonna get made fun of on this. Right. They passed a bill that you cannot you cannot access an adult website without going to an age verification process. And look, I, I, again, adult websites are adult websites. But my fear is, what if that happened with premium cigars? Like, like someone could easily say, "Hey, um, this is an adult product. Why don't you have people go through an adult uh, verification process to read Cigar Coop, to read a, a Drew Estate website?" You know, and and it's got me very, very worried right now. And I've seen some of the cigarette sites already do it. They go through these very difficult age verification process, and it it really could shut down a lot of what the cigar industry is doing, the the online community, and, and that's keeping me up at night. That I just have this fear it's going to eventually come our way. So I that was the comment I wanted to make on that. Yeah, I think that I mean, listen, I don't know of any particular bills out there right now, but listen, I. I would not be shocked if that doesn't come about, that somebody doesn't propose that. I mean, there are states that you would look to that that are, you know, tend to be yeah. pretty progressive in when it comes to tobacco regulation, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, it just it does not surprise me to see the stuff that's out there um, today. And it, it is alarming. Yeah, well, no, I agree. So that's the stuff that, you know, obviously, you know, and we want to be able to talk about like, characterizing characterizing flavors are not necessarily flavors they're different and unfortunately we all get lumped into that so it, it is something you know that that's scaring me right now well even to take it a four point further and here's my follow-up on this gentleman is that you know like 
for example, we had a colleague uh, who, who had built up a fantastic uh, outlet uh, media-wise and covering the cigar, uh, the cigar industry, uh, actually internationally. And that was uh, Ferdinand Pete. Singapore, uh, in Singapore, in, in, in Singapore, that's where he was based. Well, his his he and he went through a pretty lengthy legal process, and he was shut down completely. So, that's again, that's Coop's got Coop's got some healthy fears. Well, I've got doomsday fears in this regard: is that podcasts like we have that we're hosting tonight could be completely shut down entirely. Forget the forget the age verification. Forget the you know the the, the loopholes that someone would have to jump through. That's difficult enough, and that's. I think that's certainly more of a real reality, but at the same time, it's not unprecedented for 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 podcasts like this to to not exist uh, in the world today. So that's again, that's that's another concern of mine too. Yeah, yeah I mean that that is pretty concerning. I mean, I think when you when you start bringing in you know a, a country like Singapore, you know they you're correct they they virtually ban all advertising on tobacco products. Um, and they very loosely uh, and, and broadly define, you know, what advertising is. But I think the the one thing that's unique uh, to the United States that that might protect, you know, us a little bit is the the whole freedom of speech aspect Good of point. it that does not exist. Uh, virtually freedom of speech just uh, does not exist anywhere but in the United States um, for all intent and purposes. But uh, yeah, it's very concerning when you start looking at you know, countries that, that ban, you know, you can certainly say, okay, well, you know, we have, we have forms of tobacco advertising that's banned in this country, you know, cigarettes and stuff, but, you know, to say everything is banned and to broadly to define what tobacco advertising like Singapore does, you know, is pretty far out there. Right. No, that's a good point, Cody. Thanks for making that point as well. That's a very good point. All right, well, he, made with... me, he made me breathe a sigh of relief, at least for the time well, being. I'll go, well, I'll go maybe... back to being a negative Nancy. Well, well I'm probably. so worried, but at least that's a very <laughs> good thing we have on our side. I'm worried about I'm worried. <laughs> All right. So I want to be sensitive to everyone's time here. Um, I know you guys talked about some of the 2024 initiatives. So I'm, I'm excited to hear about what you guys are, are having a docket this year. Yeah. So in the legislative field, uh, we were very honored and pleased with Representative uh, Byron Donalds, he has sponsored H.J. Resolution 99, which incorporates Judge Maida's uh, premium cigar definition, the most narrow and precise uh, to date. Uh, and the effort is to reopen the FDNC Act and insert it as a, uh, a statutory definition. Uh, as people may be aware, there's only two cigar categories right now. One is small cigars which are under three pounds per thousand sticks. And then uh, three pounds and above is a large cigar category. Unfortunately, it includes in our category, and we are in large cigars, uh, billions and billions of mass market. And while we're not asking that our brothers or sisters in the mass market uh, be taxed or regulated uh, or anything, we do draw important distinctions between our products and theirs. And in all of these epidemiological areas I brought up before, dose response, sample size, frequency of use, inhalation patterns, flavors versus non-flavors, machine-made versus handmade, we are vastly different. Uh, additionally, uh, we're already working right now with the authorizing committees in Congress to prepare for what could be a very big tax threat in 2025. And that work began last year. 
In the uh, regulatory front, uh, just a few dates uh, that we're keeping an eye on. Uh, in March, we're expecting the final rule on banning characterizing flavors and cigars. As uh, those folks that follow these things might see, it was slated for last year and due uh, to political uh, reasoning that orbits the upcoming presidential election, they delayed it. It could be delayed again for the same reason. In April, uh, there's a proposed rule setting limits on nicotine and tobacco. I was going to ask you this about that something- too. Yep. Yeah, we are very concerned with yep. uh, you cannot constructively alter the nicotine levels in cigars without destroying the cigar, whether it's done by chemicals, which is how cigarettes do it, or whether it's done agriculturally using overhydration, which destroys the essence of a cigar being all of its flavor and aromatic qualities. Uh, there's no functional way to do it without contravening the statute that says you can't ban or prohibit cigars. Because any change to nicotine is a change to the essence of a cigar, and it'll destroy it. So we are watching and monitoring, and we'll be lobbying and educating on that issue. And in in October, uh, the final rule for manufacturing practice for tobacco manufacturers, we had an excellent rule composed by a former desk officer of the very uh, agency that has oversight over FDA. Uh, And this was the desk officer when the final rule came before uh, his desk in the Obama administration, and we'll be uh, watching and acting on that. Uh, and then on the global front, you heard me mention how we monitor framework convention on tobacco control. Uh, there was a delay in 23 for COP10. It's the conference of the parties on tobacco regulation in Panama. For security reasons, they delayed it. So we'll be monitoring that. In February, uh, they tend to set the agenda and agree upon uh, global tobacco control measures. And in March, one of the pedestal societies for research in the tobacco control realm is SRNT, the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco. Uh, For yet another surprise, uh, they recently opined in a review they did on wave uh, six of longitudinal studies sponsored by NIH and FDA called the PATH uh, studies. Uh, They said premium cigars need a definition and should be exempt because you're just exhausting resources that are finite at the Center for Tobacco Products, funded 100% by user fees that could be allocated towards the problem actors, not towards premium hand-rolled cigars. And we're sending our uh, former desk officer I cited earlier uh, to Edinburgh, Scotland for the conference uh, this March And uh, also in May, uh, I've been honored and asked to address the General Assembly of the European Cigar Manufacturing Association in uh, Budapest. Nice. Uh, That's just a a few of the items uh, we're keeping track of in addition to all the uh, state initiatives that develop. That's great. That's great stuff to hear. Mike, just one quick question about one of the things to spotlight that you just mentioned because it stood out to me and I know that you guys are monitoring it because uh, again, how it could absolutely destroy the integrity of a cigar, the nicotine levels that you guys are uh, uh, um, action plan that, that, that you guys would be fighting that we'll be fighting against as an industry. My question is this one of the, one of the big victories for the cigar industry in our 
the, the case that we've obviously been talking about a bulk of this evening had a lot in part, large part with the fact that the FDA failed to prove, uh, uh, proved to fail to prove its data points that it brought to, to the case. Right. And one of those was the science, the science didn't back a lot of what they were talking about. Isn't this, and again, I don't want to be too naive here, but isn't the monitoring of the nicotine levels and nicotine, um, nicotine observance, isn't this another egregious example of ignoring the science that nicotine actually is not an addict is not actually a danger to people. It's the byproduct of a tobacco plant, but nicotine is the, yes, nicotine is the common denominator of all tobacco products, but it's not the addictive substance that everyone has so claimed at the, and that the, the, uh, the anti-tobacco lobby has preached for years. Yeah. You raise a great point. Uh, and, and yes, they haven't considered the science. Here's the problem. Years ago, NIH did a study and they said, well, we're regulating cigarettes. And one premium hand-rolled cigar can have 10 to 20 times the nicotine as one cigarette. Now, that happens to be true. The challenge, though, isn't what is in the product. It's what gets assimilated. Yeah, so correct. with cigarettes... Uh, because they are not fermented and aged like a premium man rolled cigars, Nicotiana tobacco, uh, they're acidic. And an acidic pH affects nicotine in a different way. And when you combine it with pulmonary inhalation, which is further fostered by the mild nature of acidic smoke, you've got in the bronchioles and capillaries of the lung uh, pulmonary tract, four meters of tissue. Now compare that to premium cigars. One, they're acidic. Acidic smoke does not lend itself to pulmonary inhalation. Anyone that's ever made the mistake of inhaling never does it again. Uh, secondly, the <laughs> mucosa that. membrane in the mouth can absorb alkalinity. However, it's 50 centimeters. Comparing a portal into the bloodstream of 50 centimeters of uh, a type of pH that isn't nearly as absorbed as four meters of alkalinity in cigarette smoke is the distinction between a mouse hole opening and a train tunnel opening. And uh, the question they ought to be asking is assimilation. How much nicotine gets into the bloodstream and breaches the brain blood barrier? And even though we start with a lot more, we are a mere fraction of what a cigarette delivers. And this is by design. And it's a function of the three to 500 chemicals they add, as well as the, the pH. So uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, and they know the science, but this is where they play politics. And uh, this is where we have to be forever vigilant because we are a combustible product. There's no question about that. We are tobacco. There's no question about that. So simply by virtue of the misconceived notion that if we quack like a duck and walk like a duck, we must be a duck. Uh, we are going to remain in the crosshairs for years and likely generations to come. Uh, and that returns us to the importance of being counted, the importance of standing up, the importance of joining your brothers and smoking, uh, but, but also in fighting. And, and the best way to do that, we think, is, is by joining CRA. Absolutely. But thank you for raising that. Absolutely. You know, the other, you know, the whole, you mentioned about the tobacco manufacturing uh, facilities. 
there's a lot that scared me in that because I live the FDA's nightmare of traceability, and I just fear the what that could burden a lot of these cigar companies with, and that ultimately affects what we're doing, enjoying a product. So, uh, that's something I know. I'm I'm really glad to see a lot of focus on that right now. Yeah, and you know, uh, you guys keep throwing me great alley oops. <laughs> really appreciate that. Drew Perot is the desk officer. Not only was he in charge of tobacco, but he did a lot of work with uh, the Center for Food Products and other areas of FDA. So when he wrote our comment, uh, we actually had other agencies really taking notice that have a history of advocating for us uh, because he can get into the weeds in such a way that he brings a historical understanding of traceability in other centers and then can apply that thoughtfully to our situation. And in doing so, he exposes all the ways in which it isn't applicable yeah. uh, and that it undermines key statutes and organizing principles and ways in which they're supposed to think about uh, extending regulation. So uh, we're very fortunate to have uh, him amongst many other talents uh, that, that CRA has enjoyed for many years. And I think as another great sign of the leadership of our board, uh, which we really haven't discussed today, uh, the team at CRA has been uh, in effect now, uh, many of us, uh, for over a decade. And when you look at other organizations, to take nothing away from them, there is a way in which the personnel has a, a certain rotation. Uh, not so largely speaking, with the uh, legal and regulatory and lobbying team at CRA. We've been together a very long time. Uh, and I think that speaks kudos of the unity and the creativity and the leadership and the determination of the board of directors of Cigar Rights of America. So uh, I know I speak for Cody and the rest of the team when I say yeah. we're really honored uh, to be working for these guys. And, you know, as cigar nerds, it's a pleasure in its own right just to have a chance to get to know, you know, some of our heroes in the business, but to work with them uh, and, and to see that they have not let their foot off the gas pedal, nor have they any intention of doing so, uh, is really, uh, it, it makes our job so much more uh, easy and effective. Yeah, I think that's one great point, Mike. I think, uh, you know, Bear and I have been very, we've had a lot of confidence in who we've seen on the board. Um, and the fact that there's a lot of experience here, you ascending into the executive director role, I think is, is a great move because you you have lived this. It's not bringing an outsider in who has to learn this now. You you have lived this oh, uh, for, for a decade, you know, over a decade. So, uh, and, you know, Cody's been outstanding with uh, the communications we've gotten lately as well. So I have a lot of confidence in the board and, and the and the staff here. Uh, you guys are in the right direction. I'm really happy you know, happy to see that. I know we talked about some things, and and I was so I was so appreciative of that conversation, and I I came out of that like well, these guys are in the right direction now, and I, and I I want everyone to know that too. Well, thank you. That means a lot. We appreciate that. Yeah, we really yeah. appreciate that, Coop. No, no it absolutely is, is from the heart here. Yeah, you know, Cody and I worked very closely, as you know, with Glenn Loop for years. I was the, and still am, the legislative and regulatory director for federal affairs. Yep. And we're very proud of the fact that we're continuing on that trajectory uh, that Glenn worked so hard on for a dozen years of his life. 
yeah. uh, and uh, you know, like us, was really at the uh, the cradle of, of this chapter in the modern era of tobacco yeah. control. So uh, we're, we're all very pleased with the direction we're heading. In. No, it was Glenn. Glenn put a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears over the years into this, and you know, we we saw it, and he's uh, been in the trenches too. And it's really good to you know now he's over with PCA, which is which is great too. So. Uh, and I'm really happy to hear that, that PCA and CRA are kind of really on the same page. It's sounding like with going with this next step as well. Um, so great, great job on that. That that's something really happy to hear. Yeah, we work very closely with them. Cody still talks routinely with Glenn on the state front, and then mm -hmm. Cody, of course, joins our entire team that meets with the PCA uh, legislative team uh, every Monday. Uh, we have debriefs and, and mutual meetings and we collaborate and uh, align our efforts. Uh, so that has been a longstanding uh, close work and collaboration. And we have every intent of continuing that. Yeah. All right. So I got one, I got one request. I'm going to throw this one out there as long as we're on that. So every year at the PCA, um, you guys, there's a, there's a CRE meeting that takes place on the show floor. Mm -hmm. um we first of all we we think that's a great thing we have uh but we haven't been able to cover it and the other problem is we have actually had problems covering booze because people go to that meeting so here's what my request is is there any way that could be put on the schedule so we know what time that is so one we could schedule our appointments but more importantly so we can cover that uh the way it should be covered uh, because i think it's a those those meetings on the floor i think are very very you know, they're very eye-opening, and I think it's important for people to have visibility on that. Yeah, so uh, I'll, this might be the first political answer I give you tonight. Okay. Uh, so uh, I'll tell you oh, how start, I think Don't start it. now, Mike. Come on. Don't uh, start I'm going to ask it to PCA as well, and we have Scott on. So. <laughs> no, you'll, you'll appreciate the candor because I'm not going to give okay. you a, a fluff answer. Okay. The way we think about it is this, and there's two schools of thought. On the one hand, we would ideally like the opportunity just to talk to manufacturers. Now that hasn't been the reality right? because a lot of retailers as they're leaving the floor, it's a very difficult thing to say, ignore Carlito. Don't listen to Rocky as they're right. Cause they're amongst two of the most magnetic dynamic speakers in the entire business. Right. Uh, the downside is, is that our guys are so passionate. They don't talk in a way that is, designed for an intimate gathering of manufacturers. And when people take footage and we have no control over how it's promulgated, there's ways <laughs> in which there could be unintended consequences yeah, of the footage. Good, good point. So good point. Good point with that. Yeah. We, I can't now, imagine I'll an tell example you. that you're talking about. Mike. I mean, that just, it's, <laughs> so far, right. it's so far-fetched. Nah. Uh, yeah, so you're... the challenge is, you know, the, the correct answer is it's not my decision the the board decides but i i will make you this promise i will uh extend uh the offer and it could be that uh we do it a little bit different this year in such a way that allows for a larger audience uh, and one that can be scheduled so uh i will have that discussion is the first promise and the second promise is uh, i'll get back to you uh, with an answer. Fair enough. Fair enough. I appreciate that's a fair, that's an honest Thank answer. Uh, we appreciate that. Like I said, we want to make sure we, we think it's a good, good thing that what you guys are doing every year at the trade show with that. So 
we want to make sure whatever is the most positive way to do it. I think that that's an important thing as well. So we're, I'm yeah, and let me add this, uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, Cody doesn't mind me uh, speaking for the both of us. Um, uh, I'm more than happy to make time in what's a busy schedule for uh, the fundraising and the PAC and the legislative regulatory education. If you'd like to do an interview uh, with Cody and I at the show, I will defend it, uh, definitely make time uh, to avail myself as much time as you'd like. So if that's something that adds value, whether or not we have an, a, a larger open uh, industry meeting, uh, let me know. And I, I'm, I'm happy to do that as well. This has been great today. Thank you. Bear, Bear I, I, I'll, you want me to answer for you or you want to answer? Because I think we're on the same page. The answer is yes. Yeah, I would yeah, like absolutely, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So we will talk about that and get that schedule with you. Good. It does bring up one question, though, and I just thought it just occurred to me, and I, I don't mean to backtrack too much. You mentioned two deadlines that are coming in the month of March, uh, one that's our responsibility and one that's out of our responsibility, but one that we'll certainly be monitoring, the first and the 25th of the month. Well, the PCA trade show is smack dab in the middle of that. How will that, uh, how will the industry's you know top event affect uh, our uh, the CRA's ability to obviously file on time, which I know you all will? and also effectively monitor the response that it's due uh, on the 25th. Okay. So, uh, the, so Avera, I think you're, you're referring to the, the FDA's reply brief that'll be due on the 22nd of March. So it'll be the, 22nd, the Friday sorry, of, of the PCA trade show. Yes, sir. Good. Yeah. And, and there were three March dates. Uh, one is that, and the answer is that the legal team is handling that. Uh, with regards to the final rule, banning characterizing flavors, uh, we've already commented on that. Uh, any okay. monitoring or so won't be impeded by the show uh, because these are working shows for us. So we're not only doing our responsibilities for Vegas, but we're working as though we were back in D.C., uh, the other date uh, of the SRNT conference is uh, actually going to jump on a plane, go to Edinburgh, do two days there, and then go from Edinburgh to Vegas. Uh, and, and he's actually going to be able to do both. Um, I, too, would have been in Edinburgh, but uh, I was at the annual meeting in Baltimore in 2018. And uh, they have since said no one that is directly employed by tobacco is longer allowed to be a member. Uh, so uh, I have mixed feelings about that. Uh, but right. at any rate, those are the three March dates, and that's how we'll, we're planning on covering them. Nice. Okay. Nice. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, Bear, anything else? I want to, again, be sensitive to these guys' time. Yes. Uh, no, we've, well, we've kept them for, for more than yeah. time. Thank you yeah. so much for the yeah. opportunity to sit down with both of you. And congratulations, Mike and, and Cody. Thank you for all yeah. of your hard work. Um, it's been appreciated. And, and, yeah, we want to talk to you guys at the trade show. And we want to have you guys back on a regular basis to kind of update folks on this. Um, it would be really good. We I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed talking to both of you guys. And, and uh I'm, like I said, I'm very excited to hear what, what's, what you guys are doing right now. So I mean that sincerely. Hey, thanks, Coop and, and Bear. It's a, it's a real pleasure meeting you. I look forward to having a smoke with you guys. Uh, we, we still haven't, haven't done that. But I actually love uh, getting to know you guys, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting to know you more. Yep. Uh, but thanks. Yep. Thank you.
Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Bear and uh, Coop. And, uh, you know, appreciate your time tonight and uh, allowing this opportunity. And uh, I guess uh, next thing we'll see you here in a few weeks in Vegas, about nine weeks from now. I look forward to it. Yeah, it's going to come up. Soon. It's going to come up sooner than you think. So, uh, yeah. oh, Mike, you said yeah. one thing. You're going to be a pro cigar, right? Uh, this is going to be my first time. I'll uh, be look, at, I will uh, be there. I will be there. Really? Wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, yep. I look forward to it. Yeah, that, absolutely. That'll be great. Yeah. So, and if I, if I may, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't sincerely thank uh, all of your listeners that are either already supporting CRA or hopefully as a result of this evening's uh, podcast, uh, considering joining. So thank you in advance uh, to the latter and for the former. We couldn't do this without you. Thank you so yep, much. Yep. Yeah, please do. Absolutely. Please do. It's important. Very important here. Uh, they're doing a lot of great work. And this was, you know, the, I got even more of an eye opener of what you guys are doing behind the scenes tonight. So thank you guys as well for sharing that. Um, there's just so much that's going on behind the scenes that uh, I hope our audience appreciated that as well. Thank you. Thank you all. all right. yeah. Much appreciated. Thanks, guys. Take we care. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, that's, uh, yep. That's Mike Copperman and Cody Carden. Guys, uh, be safe, stay warm, and we'll see you guys soon. Yeah. Take care. All right. Thank you. All right. So uh, we are now um, heading into the uh, next part of the show. We have more stuff coming, guys. Um, so, Bear, j I, I, this was a very much an eye-opening conversation I had tonight mm -hmm. um, because I, I was really surprised about a lot of stuff. We, we've always talked to Glenn, and we've always gotten a good perspective, but there was other things that I think, you know, in the trenches that I got tonight out of this, out of this, this was very positive. Yeah, I think that there are there are a lot of perspectives. For instance, like the the path of uh, the path of appeal was an interesting. Yeah, it was uh, very. Yeah, yeah, it was an interesting point of discussion. Um, Jay also contributed in the chat for for those of our listeners who are interested. You could go back and listen to it. And Jay has a legal background too. For for those who don't understand that, so his perspective is actually uh, professionally back. So he actually yeah. knows what he's talking about. Yeah, uh, he's not just a keyboard warrior. He actually knows what he is <laughs> what he's talking about from a legal perspective. Yeah. Um. But the uh, what I thought was really interesting about that, um, is and 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 it actually speaks well to the industry. Even though we fought an uphill battle and 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 you know achieved the mountaintop, but what was considered a you know, was considered a losing battle for most of the, for most of the most of the argument. Had the FDA not royally screwed up, is that the onus is now on them to present new evidence? Not, not excuse me, not new evidence, but just argue against the actual decision. And that's that's an even bigger problem in my mind. Well, it certainly certainly be taken lightly, and it doesn't sound like the industry is taking it lightly. You know, Mike mentioned several times tonight that they're running scared, um, and that's. That's yeah. a, that's a good that's a good perspective to that's have. A good sense of urgency is created. Yeah, it's a yeah. sense. Of, uh, it was very honest answers there, um, yeah. which I felt was very, uh, you know, you know, which was, which was good when we asked those questions. That was a very honest answer we got, and I think that's the answer I wanted to hear. Well, yeah. I appreciated his answer, and I, I and I know he'll follow up. It's I think the most disappointing answer I got tonight was the fact that he that uh, that to your to your last question, Coop, that they couldn't they couldn't like it wasn't just a a knee jerk. Yeah, we can absolutely put it on the schedule, and you're absolutely invited to oh. cover it. 
Uh, I was surprised by his answer. I couldn't. I, I was I too. I, did, it, I, but I was surprised. I think it was I've asked Peter as well. I've asked Peter as well. Scott Pierce, when I have him on, is going to ask the same question. The advertising thing. I just wish there was a little more urgency. I'm really worried about this advertising thing. Uh, it, it should be like I, 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 I and I, I think what was interesting about that was my follow up to it, and Cody's answer was like, "Well, the freedom of speech aspect." That part was and, a good, and, yeah. Yeah, it was. Cool. Yeah, it, it, it seemed very it was in, it seemed like an oversimplification of what we constitute as our First Amendment. Right. But um, to the question, um, but I think it was so <laughs> I think it was so well illustrated yeah. by Cody that he actually brought it together a really good point. Yeah, uh, because they don't have that. They Singapore was the example that we brought up internationally. Singapore doesn't have the freedom of speech. No, they don't. And they were able so, to do it's a good point he made. Uh, the age verification thing is 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 absolutely something. I haven't talked to on Todd Johnson yeah. about it yet, so I don't know where he stands on that. Um, like I said, I know it was for like adult websites, right? Don't get me wrong. I'm like, I'm I, if I had kids, I'd want that on there, right? Uh, well, kids are. I should say, I have kids. All my kids are old enough to do it, right? I, I, yeah. But um, but it's more concerning that because I've seen cigarette sites already doing that. And it's just I could see well, some... all cigar sites too have them too. Like you mentioned, well, Drew Estate. Drew Estate has an age verification. As they well. don't, but they don't have, like. If you go look at the age verification on on the, like the Nat Sherman uh, cigarettes, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's 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 a much more complex age verification where no, you don't get understood. you don't you don't get like like there's a concern about clicking yes. I, I, are you 18 years or older? Are you, yes, and. uh this is going through like they want photo, this photo verification driver and it, and there's all issues. By the way, this is also going to be a big battle in North Carolina because of privacy issues. Is is really where it's it's going to be a big battle. I I was surprised it went through. I didn't know about it, and then it was pointed out to me by someone. Um, and then I said, well, what's the big deal about that? I said, well, what if they did that with tobacco on it? That was the aha moment. I'm like, yeah, they could. There's nothing, you know. I could see someone saying, you know, some dimwit congressperson proposing this and throwing it into an appropriations bill. Yeah. You know? percent. Yeah. That was good. All right. So uh, thanks to those guys. Um, they stayed. And I know they had some time constraints, but they did stay longer. So we do appreciate them. And I want to definitely have them back for sure. Bear. Thousand percent. All right. So let's go. Uh, let's get into some of our other stuff. Of course, this is our vintage Rockefeller American history segment. Um, and of course, that is brought to you by Rockefeller Cigars. At Rockefeller Cigars, the journey began with a simple yet powerful vision to create an affordable luxury that transcends social boundaries. We wanted to offer a premium cigar that embodies the spirit of entrepreneurship while remaining accessible to the men and women from all walks of life. Inspired by the resilience of the American spirit during the Great Depression, the Rockefeller Cigar stands as a testament to the unwavering determination and pursuit of excellence. So we have a little bit of, I was going to, I changed this up because I didn't. I was gonna do something originally tied in, but I didn't know I didn't want to reduce the time tonight with those guys. So tonight's question bear is on a holiday that we just had. Yep, and it is Martin Luther King Day. Okay. So I have three questions. I think these are all layups for you, but I think it was an. Interesting... He was a civil rights activist in the uh, the early civil rights movement and during the yes. the twentieth century. Yep. Okay. So. I remember no, that's not the question. That's not the question. Who's Martin Luther King? That's not the question. No, when I, okay. but so I always remembered Martin Luther King was a state holiday for many years with me growing up and it was always celebrated on a certain day. And we'll get into that as well. But there was a president 
who signed this into law at a federal level. Mm -hmm. Do you know who the president was that signed it into law? Yeah, it's your favorite president of all time, Coop. It was Ronald Reagan. It was Ronald Reagan. Yes, it was Ronald Reagan. Do you know the year it became a federal holiday? Okay. I think so. I think. I think I'm right. Okay, so if if memory serves correct, Ronald Reagan proposed it and signed it into law in the latter half of his first term. So yes. I want to say 1983 is when he signed it. Now, I don't think it was actually observed until like 1986 or 1987. Correct. 1986 um, it was. 1986? Okay. You had 1986. That is correct. Now, here's the part that's a little tricky. When is officially this holiday celebrated? Martin Luther King Day? Yeah. Okay, I feel like this is a trick question. because I know the one... There's not a trick question. All right. We're talking a federal holiday. We're talking the federal holiday here. I feel like this is going to stun me. I mean, it's supposed to be the third Monday of, of every January. Correct. Correct. Okay, so that's not a trick question. No, that is correct. Oh, okay. So, okay. Like you're like, oh, it's it's the 18th, bear. It's always the 18th. Like we're like, okay, sorry. I was like, so it's they, the third they, Monday of some, every. There's some like Monday thing they use with other holidays like with president's day with memorial day it's like x number of monday you know they, and they put it on the monday schedule but do you know when martin so they so do you know why they do it in january though is the question oh that is a good question this is the part that's going to get a little trick this is the trick this is the curveball i'm going to throw at you Well, my assumption would be that they have it in January because they don't want to. They don't want to necessarily lump too many federal holidays in a row in other months, and there's already other federal holidays in other months of the year. But that seems like a very bland and general answer to it. But obviously, you have something a little bit better. Okay, I, I guess I get I get my I guess my answer is I don't know, Coop. I don't have like I don't okay. have like the, the the definitive answer on okay. that. Okay, so. okay, we're not grading you on this one. So, um. You got the three questions I had. So, do you know what when Martin Luther King's birthday is? Well, he's not a president, Coop. Why the fuck did you throw that one at me? Jesus. Hit, well, this uh, is a history segment now. We're in. Uh, See, I thought this one was a layup. I actually thought this was a little bit of a layup because I, I know the answer to this one. It's on I, the tip of my tongue, too. Yeah, Shit. yeah, yeah. I have this great story about Martin Luther King that I've told before that I was like really excited about talking about. I'm going to no, let, no. let, let you do it. Um, oh, shit. Oh, God. Um, God. Uh, okay, let me go back and think about this. Hold on a second. Um, oh, shit. God damn it. Oh shit. Uh 
Okay, let's look work backwards. He died in April. He died April 4th, correct. So he had just I... he had just had a birthday. Like not like in April. He had, he had a birthday he... before that. Yes, he had a birthday yeah. before that. I could throw a hint to you. Here's the hint I'll Cuz he wasn't 40 cuz he wasn't 40 yet, right? Um he was just under he was 39. He had just turned 39. Isn't that fucking crazy, Coop? I'm older than Martin Luther King was <laughs> when he died. Isn't that fucking nuts? Sorry, nuts. I don't mean to digress the conversation. He was a young man when he was assassinated. He really was. Why was it changed? It has to do with his birthday. So I could, is that is that the answer? His birthday? His birth, it was January. Wasn't his birthday February? No, no it, was he, Janu- it was January. It was, it was January. You know what day okay. in January it was. Well, it's not the third Monday of every day. Um, uh, shoot, we'll go. We'll go smack dab in the middle of January. What was it? Fourteenth, fifteenth. I, I don't know. It, it was the fifteenth. Oh, okay. So it was the fifteenth. Right. It was actually yesterday, <laughs> which is one of the rare times in the cycle. It's similar to what they did with Washington's birthday, which is February twenty second. So they kind of found a way where every few years it could fall into the cycle. But see, when I was in New York growing up, and we had Martin Luther King Day off from school. As a state holiday, it was on January 15th. So it didn't matter when that was. But when it became a federal holiday, they decided to move it into the Monday cycle. And they they did it to kind of try to coincide it with his birthday. Okay. So yesterday yesterday was a rare, one of the rare, not the rare, but one of the few times it was his birthday. And we celebrate Martin Luther King. Similar to what happened with Washington's birthday, which... From what I understand, Bear, watch it's the federal holiday still Washington's birthday. Am I wrong on that? No, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. They never. They, we call it President's Day. We call it President. Because it, it used there used to be Lincoln's. We used to celebrate Washington and Lincoln, and then they just combined it into one President's President's Day, and then they 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 switched it to George. Yeah, Washington's and that happened. Birthday. And that happened right around the time that they made Martin Luther King Day a federal holiday. Because we used to have off. We used to have off the the twelfth, Lincoln's actual birthday. And then we would get that Monday, that third Monday for Washington's birthday. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. was those. Those were my questions around. I, I actually thought there will be layups on all these. I was the birthday I, went through me, man. I wasn't. Re- I don't. Oh shit, man. Like, see, I, I knew. I knew it because again, it was the state holiday in New York growing up that we right. had the fifteenth off, and it wasn't like not every state had it, had Martin Luther King Day off. We had it well, off in New York. Well, yeah, it was. Like, well, uh, I'm. I always turn off the chat when I'm answering these questions because I don't want anyone to give me the answer. But yeah. I was going back through the quotes. So Charlie, uh, Charlie Crickmore was talking about how Arizona was the one who objected to the. Uh... They lost the Super Bowl over that. Mm-hmm. They lost the Super Bowl over that. They were supposed to have the in Tempe, and they lost it. They took it away, and then that became a major issue. To, you know, for them to get a Super Bowl back. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. What a hill to die on. Sorry, we're not going to celebrate one of the foremost, uh, you know, civil rights activists of the of the uh, of American history. You know, we're just not we're going to die on that hill. What I a, think I, I don't know. I don't remember what I'm not going to get political. I don't remember what the issues were with that. I, I, yeah, I don't either. But it, I don't think it's maybe this is a political statement without trying to be a political statement. 
it's like what a thing to politicize man yeah i mean it's it's a fucking federal holiday like who the who the fuck cares yep like i mean in all honesty like who the hell cares if it's a federal holiday it's a federal holiday yeah i mean if we're celebrating you know if you're celebrating you know I mean, right now, it's it, this is what I love. This is one of the things I absolutely love about social media. I really do. Like, this sounds like I'm being obnoxious. I'm not. I think it's absolutely, I, I, I really get a joy out of it. Like, every fucking day or every other day on social media, everyone is celebrating National Bagel Day or National, you know, you know, check out a book from your local library day. And I think it's actually cool. Like, I really do. Like, I'm not being obnoxious. I'm not being like, I'm not being obnoxious about it. Right. Like, I think it actually really is cool that there are so many like national or, you know, uh, world beer day or whatever. There's like and four really... international smoking. I think there's multiple. Yeah, there's, mul- days, yeah, there's multiple national, you know, multiple yeah. cigar days and shit. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. just really cool. And when the, the, the different ways that people celebrate certain days and do different things, man, I just think it's fun. Like a lot of people like to bag on it. Like, like, like those are people that just don't like to have fun. Like no, I've, I've, I'm convinced myself. They're like, Oh, it's another fucking holiday. I'm like, fuck it, we, man. We, like, just be happy. Go I drink a margarita on national margarita day. Is it really going to fucking kill you? Like some good God. I don't know. It's, I think I'm going like, to do a segment cool. on, I think I want to do a segment on this at some point. Some of the weird, because there's some weird ones I've seen and I've actually seen people celebrate some of these weird ones. So, right. I mean, I do. I mean, dude, National Talk Like a Pirate Day, September 19th, dude. It's fucking funny. It's yeah. fucking funny. It's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. National Talk Like a Pirate Day. Google that shit. It's hilarious, man. I celebrated that shit in college because I had no life and I was, you know, 19, 20 years old. Yeah, yeah no, there was, there's some crazy ones. I'm not going to give away the ones I know, right? But uh, I'll, I'll say that for a show. But there's some crazy ones out there. It's not just like National Pretzel Day. It's like... Uh, you know, National Wear Your Cap Backwards Day. There's, there's a lot of weird oh, ones. So there's a holiday I could get behind. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. There's some. They're not all bad, is what I'm saying. But there's some. And, and actually, there's a couple. There's a couple I've actually seen in practice, which is really weird. So it's like, uh, so we have to do that at some point. Go through some of those. We'll make yeah, it, dude. I, we'll have to, we we'll should have to, do like we should do a fucking Mount Rushmore of national holiday, obscure national holidays. I think. Well, I think that's. We should fucking piggyback that off our next Mount Rushmore. Yes. Let's yes. do that. We'll do that. That will be. Yes. In. We're yeah. doing that. I just had a fucking epiphany. We're, We're doing it. We'll do that. We'll definitely do that. We'll do that as a second segment. Yep. <laughs> yep. So uh, I know we do for Mount Rushmore probably at the PCA. So um, we have a couple. So yeah, we'll definitely plan that one out. So good one, Bear. That's a good. You had some stuff before I kind of close out the history segment. I know you wanted to say a few things on Martin Luther King. Yeah. Kid. No, I've I've told this story before. I I love I love how like history twists and turns uh-huh. on itself. And, I, and I've told this story. So for, for, for our audience members who have listened to this story before or have actually even heard it, I apologize. I find I find it incredibly fascinating. Um, again, dies at 39 years old. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, you know, is a Baptist minister, you know, in Montgomery, Alabama. That's how it starts. That's how the story yeah, starts. Okay. Okay. So, you know. Um, and everyone knows the story of Rosa Parks, what led to the Montgomery boy bus boycotts, which was yeah. led, of course, by Martin Luther King. That's how he gained national prominence uh, and eventually became one of the great civil rights leaders uh, of uh, of the um, of the civil rights movement in, the, in the, the middle part of the 20th century. And it's it's a it's a fascinating turn of events because of how things are perceived and we talk about social media today and we talk about how there's a there's a magnifying glass on stuff and there's a magnifying glass going back to I mean, you can track it all the way back to 
to television, a television in every living room in America changed everything, um, changed everything for the national fabric uh, for, for the latter half of the 20th century and into the 21st. And because again, you know, I've said this before, is there, if there's a television in the living room and in, in, in every living room in North America, this country is not electing a man in a wheelchair. You know, FDR does not get elected president we, and of the United we, States, we actually, and he doesn't and get have, elected four fucking times. No, we talked about that in the last show, actually, uh, how yeah. that whole, it actually ended the whole greet the president thing. Yeah, exactly. So that's that that's one thing. But again, I, dig, I digress to, to, to make this point, how television and media have shaped a lot of things. And television in its own right, and media in its own right, is actually responsible for Martin Luther King. So let me explain. So there... So Rosa Parks is renowned for her, you know, disobedience and, you know, that, 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 that spurred the, you know, the civil rights movement. Right. I actually wrote a paper in college that Rosa Parks actually did not start the civil rights movement. It was actually Jackie Robinson in 1947 uh, when he went with the desegregation of baseball. But that's another topic for another day. And I actually wrote a paper on it if anyone's ever interested in boring themselves to death. But there was actually a woman, um, Eight months earlier, or eight months before Rosa Parks's uh, stance, named Claudette Colvin, who made a similar gesture, refused to go to the back of the bus, right? Which gained national, would actually gain the attention of the NAACP, got the local media and the local, um, the local uh, uh, black and white communities up in a in, a, in an uproar, right? And so it started to gain some steam, right? The NAACP goes down there and says, "Hey, we're 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 gonna this is we're gonna do this. We're gonna make it. We're gonna make our stance here, right?" Um, except for there was a problem, right? And today it may not seem like a problem, but in the 1950s it sure as hell was. Um, the problem was was that Claudette Colvin was 15 years old and she was pregnant out of wedlock. Yep, I remember this. Uh, I remember you telling yeah. the story now. Yeah. And, and they were like, uh, we we really don't want the face of the, you know, we really don't want the face of a movement to have such, you know, controversial ties to them. So we're going to back off. So they back off, right? The NAACP and the black community backs off and says, you know what? We're going to look for another, we're going to look for another face, so to speak, or we're going to look for another time. So eight months pass by and Rosa Parks happens. And in between that time, in between those eight months, a new pastor gets appointed to a local church in Montgomery and starts stirring up the community with wonderful sermons and speeches and, 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 and pride back to the black community of, of, of you know, of, uh, of Alabama. And that, that man's name is Martin Luther King. And so when Rosa Parks happens, Martin Luther King is selected by the NAACP and the black community to lead the charge of the bus boycotts. So here's the twist of history, right? Claudette Colvin doesn't get pregnant. The NAACP decides to go eight months earlier. Coop, it's likely, because he wouldn't be that old today, right? He be, he was born in 1929. Yeah, he he would have been you know in his 90s now, but yeah, it's possible that we, there, there's a 90 year old retired minister in Alabama by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. that you and I have never heard of. Very true. That's a yeah. That's an excellent point. 
amazing. He was 39 when he died, Coop. Um, yep. Older than Martin Luther King Jr. was when he died. Yep. I mean, he died when I was two years old. Not even two. I was a year and a half. That's crazy. Yeah. That's so crazy, Coop. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, when I remember celebrating the state holiday, I, re I think I remember it maybe second grade as far back. So that was 74 I was in second grade. Um, No, 75. I was in, in 75. That's when I remember it. Um, and, uh, I remember when, when, like, when it was all, yeah, I just, like I said, it, that wasn't that long. It was only six years earlier where already people were making that a holiday and, you know, schools were closed in New York for that. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it, it, and I, I kind of, I say that because he only died less than six years before that. Right. I think, but I think there were Martin Luther King days before my first memory of it's what I'm saying. I have to look back when New York started implementing it. Right. Yeah. So amazing. Amazing how history takes different twists, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it, there's, there's fascinating things like throughout history. It's yeah. really crazy. I mean, yeah. the, 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 the pivotal moments that we would consider pivotal moments in history are all shaped by, by coincidence oh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah it's really, it's yeah. really crazy. Yeah. I mean, we talked last week about the custom of New Year's Day meeting the president. Mm -hmm. at uh the white house well if fdr wasn't in a wheelchair that probably would have went on longer i think at some point they would have stopped it because of security but it probably would have went JFK on would have stopped it yeah JFK's jfk would have stopped it yeah he's that or, or eisenhower because of some of this communist threat that would be the only other one i could see no uh, i don't see that i think jfk stops it but you think JFK? But if J, if yeah, if JFK got once he was assassinated, and, yeah. And if JFK wasn't assassinated, then Ronald Reagan's assassination attempt stops it. Yep. Yeah. But at some point, it stops. It stops. Ronald Reagan's probably would have. Uh, I mean, the Reagan, the you know, a testament to our Secret Service that you know we haven't had a Reagan incident in over forty years, so like that. So I know there's been a few other incidents, but you know, I I remember I was home there. I had a broken leg. Uh, when that happened. So I was getting, um, the city of New York actually brought me a tutor so I can graduate junior high school that year. So I was doing all my lessons at home. And in the middle of one of my tutoring sessions, uh, my mom comes in and says, this just came on the TV. And it suddenly became a topic of like my history lesson that day. Uh, we're watching that and on TV. That was the other. It was crazy because uh, the NCAA was playing their uh, men's basketball championship that night, and they didn't know if that was even going to be played. They did play it. Well, that's um, ironic too, Coop. That that was the end of your high school career, and the end of my high school career was marked by nine eleven. If you think about pivotal twenty years, in history. Tw twenty years, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was junior high for me. It was actually junior high. Oh, junior high. I apologize, but apologies. still, it's still yeah. I get that. So that was a good one. That was a good. That was a good topic, Bear. Um, glad we had a lot to add on that. All right, uh, for folks, uh, what we're gonna do is we have two more of our regular segments. Then we're gonna do our we're gonna do our annual review of our top ten lists, which is always fun to do. Yeah. But now it's time for Espinosa Cigars this day in sports history, and of course, that's brought to you by Espinosa Cigars, makers of award-winning brands such as Espinosa Six Hundred One and Knuckle Sandwich. Smoke Espinosa, smoke Espinosa every day. And get into a Lozona state of mind. So, uh, all right. 
I have a, I have a, a, a soft one, and you have some real tough ones for me. So, okay. All right, all right. So, I'm going this day, 2020. A major league baseball manager was fired without ever managing a baseball game. Who was that major league baseball manager? You know, even four years later, Coop, it seems kind of silly. Because this this guy was actually a really beloved player during his playing time. And I think he will and manage again at some point, too. I think, I he, think will. he will get another opportunity. And I think he actually actually has a shot at making the Hall of Fame, too. Which I do, is too. I do, too. Player. I want to see him as a manager, this guy. I, yeah. I know you know the answer, but yeah. He, he, was, he was a pretty electric player in his day. And his prime was actually pretty exciting. Um, but it's it's Carlos Beltran. It's Carlos Beltran, correct? Uh, yeah, that was he was fired uh, without mail. I'm sure that's one of the. I'm sorry, Hector, to bring up negative Mets history. It wasn't Mets, but it was a historic. I'm sure it was very historic. Um, and who knows what the hell history would have went if he actually managed the Mets? Yeah, Buck Showalter would have never been the Mets manager, and you know they actually would have won something probably. So that probably would have been a really good thing. Yeah. So way to bring it up and and burn and burn Hector on that. That's nice. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> who knows? Who knows what would I, I mean? It probably wouldn't have been the, uh, the, uh, why am I forgetting? Luis, uh, Rojas? No, it wasn't Luis Rojas. Whoever it was yet yeah, before Buck. Yeah. I, I don't know why they fired him. I, I, I mean, I do know why. That's a stupid, that's a stupid answer. I do know why. I'm simply saying, like, they're, like it was like one of those things the Mets knew how this was going to play out. They knew how this was going to play out. The Red Sox knew how this was going to play out. The players were never going to get punished. Alex Cora was basically fucking suspended for a year. Like he wasn't fired. Like, yeah, the fact that he was fired and then brought back was stupid. That was basically a suspension. It was the, it, you know, it was basically equivalent to the Sean Payton deal, you know, bounty gate. Yeah. It's essentially what it was. The, the fact that they went through the rigmarole of actually firing him and then rehiring him, and I don't know why they fucking rehired him in the yeah. first place, um, is just beyond me. Um, secondly, like the fact that Carlos Beltran doesn't even get a shot at it, you know, like with just that stigma, it, it, it just, it just reeked of, it just reeked of playing to the vocal minority to me. Um, and really, honestly, gave credence to the bigger issue, which was the fact that the players weren't punished. Um, and it still bothers me to this day. A lot of people are like, you know, because I I still get up in arms about it. I, I think that I think that honestly that the uh, the the incident in question is probably to to me was a bigger travesty to the sport of baseball than even the steroids era, the steroid era. Because in large part, there was accountability levied onto the steroid era. I mean, look, there's players of the, there's some of the greatest players in history. Yes, tainted players, guaranteed. But there's some of the greatest players in history that are left off of the Hall of Fame, left, left out of the Hall of Fame because of their association with steroids. Right? Yeah, absolutely. But, but in the same breath, like proven proven substantiated and evidenced cheaters don't have that same stigma and receive no no accountability or punishment whatsoever like to me that's the bigger travesty of it all 
Like, well, Bear, the steroid era lasted for years. It lasted for decades, and it was unbubble. You know, like, yeah, that that's all. That all sucks. Yeah, but and that was bad. Like, I'm not saying it wasn't bad. Um, and I still hate Barry Bonds. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I still hate the guy. Um, but like the fact that these players were held with zero, zero accountability. It's just it's it, it it's it's an un paralleled yeah oh uh, yeah travesty uh, uh of sports it's like, well you know how i feel about the whole yankees thing i won't go down there either but uh well again loop loop any team that you want into it could my red Sox were involved in it too like i they i were, but there were championships like, one well there was one i should say there was one yeah yeah so like yeah i mean yeah again and like well bear you're leaving out the red side no i'm not i won't leave him out like there was there were ties there too. i but the- I, I go back that three nothing comeback would never have happened outside the steroid era I'm, i know you don't want to hear that but that's my feeling it would have never happened there was things yeah. that you know weird stuff happened yeah but that that's that's my whole point though Coop, is yeah. that, that there was zero accountability held for yeah. it yeah. For like, I mean, just yes, players got got stronger, they healed quicker, and but you still have to hit a baseball. These people knew what the fucking pitch was coming. Yeah, like, knew it. Not not had an educated guest. Not got lucky. They knew what was coming. Yeah. Like, shit, man. Pretty sure I got. I pretty sure I could have gotten a hit then. Yeah, if I knew it was coming, it wouldn't have been a home run. It would probably have been a little, you know, yeah, weak, you know, weak ground ball to short. But you know, that's beside the point. Yep. Yep. Good point. All right, you got something for me now. Yeah. Sorry. There's my soapbox. No, you good. Um. So, uh, yeah, Coop, I got a couple for you here. So. Uh, you love boxing, man. Boxing is like one of your favorite sports. So I got Absolutely. a couple of boxing questions for you here. Okay. So this former world welterweight champion who held the crown from 1941 to 1946 died in 1993 at the age of 77 on this day. This is a t- this is a very hard one. So let me see. It's not Ray Robinson. No. It's got to be Henry Armstrong because he died when I was – I remember when he died. Henry Armstrong. Freddie Cochran. Freddie Cochran, red. Yeah, he had the title during World War II. That's a that's a good one. He had the okay. title after Armstrong. Armstrong. Armstrong had it in the from what was like 35 to 39, 30, yeah. 35 to 40, Ar- something like that. Arnold uh, Armstrong had the three titles, uh the feather, light, and welterweight, and he tried to go for the um he actually tried to go for the um the middleweight and didn't do it. He couldn't do it. It's a lot of weight, man. But he but he actually held all three and defended all three simultaneously, which was amazing. Insane. But yeah, Fred Freddie Cochran uh was a a, a kind of an underrated champion. Uh, just because he was a train I think I would say Freddie Cochran was more of a uh transitional champion, um is the way I would look at that him. Uh, you know, he kind of from Armstrong and then um Really, Armstrong to Robinson uh, came in, um, but someone beat Freddie Cochran for the title. I think it was Marty Servo beat him. 
So, and then... 1946. Yeah, and then Robinson... Somehow it got vacated, and Robinson got it, I believe, yeah. Mm, that's that's a good one. That was a hard one. Yeah, I would, have, I would not have gotten that one. All right, well, sticking with boxing... Uh-huh. On this day, in 1969, this pound-for-pound pound all-time great boxer was born. I think I know this one. Roy Jones, okay. Jr. That's correct. Roy yep. Jones, Jr. was yeah, born he on... Won January 16, 1969. Because he was 19 when he got the gold medal uh, in Seoul. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of how I put that one. And he, you know, he was just an unbelievable champion he became. Yeah. Yeah, he just was a, you know, he he stuck around too long was his problem. Uh, they all stick he, around too long. They, he stuck around way, way too long. Um, and uh, it, that one was a shame that he stuck around. As long as he did, um, um, but Roy Jones Jr. was was not a welterweight. He, I think, he was more middleweight. Like more middleweight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he had. I think he actually had the heavyweight title for a short time too. They, yeah, but I mean, pound for pound, also one of the most all time greats, man. I mean, him, like he slumped in with the. Oh, he the was. Greatest, man. Oh my goodness, he that that was a real golden. You know, he got kind of caught up with. He went up the light heavyweight, and that's when that whole. Those great middleweights like Trinidad was in there, and yeah, Felix you know, Trinidad, Oscar De La Hoya, yeah, Bernard yeah. Hopkins, yeah, but, Bernard Hopkins. but but Roy Jones had already gone up to junior, uh, to I think cruiserweight by that point he went up to not cruiserweight, um, he went up to super middleweight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I still say this, man. I you know he's he he's definitely probably at the bottom of, of some of the fighters that we just listed, and he's certainly I mean he's certainly an all time great, but. Uh, you know, there's so many fighters that were better than him, but I swear to God, I never saw anyone's hands move as fast as Bernard Hopkins. No, no, that fucking dude could just, lay, I mean, yeah, just lay a you know, 10 jabs to your face yeah. before you even woke up. I mean, it's just yeah. nuts how fast he was. Yeah, he, I mean, he, it was really Roy Jones had that loss to um Montel Griffin, which was like a DQ. And then he really, uh, the guy who not the guy who kind of ended it for him was a, a guy by the name of Antonio Tarver who went on to be Sylvester Stallone's opponent in the Rocky Balboa movie, Rocky Six. That's right. That's but right. Tarver was the guy who ended Roy Jones. Uh, and by that point, Roy Jones was in his mid-30s when that happened. And he That's never true. really – he never really – he had that win over Trinidad. I remember he won that fight over Trinidad, but Trinidad was done at that point. Trinidad was, yeah. was well, way out of it too. That was a good one. Yeah, Jones did fight at the heavyweight level. Yeah, um, I believe he had. A, I believe he had a piece of the title at one point. Yeah, again, yeah, I think he beat Ruiz at some point or something. Yeah, it was. It was. Um. Yeah, I think it was John Ruiz. It was. Um, it was kind of like one of these, you know, how can I put it? one of these like, you know, paper that was a really weak point in what was considered like a really golden era of research, like a renaissance of boxing. Like I yeah. think we had like the renaissance of boxing in the nineties and early two thousands before the MMA. I hope that boxing has a, another renaissance at some point. I think it will. I, I um, think I, I did. You know, Alex Tavell is a big boxing guy. I do think we're in a good phase with the heavyweights right now. Um, I think we're in. A, I think the heavyweights are competitive right now. I'm not saying we yeah, have the best heavyweights. I think it's, I think it's fun to watch again, yeah. like to a certain extent, but like, yeah. I mean, we're talking about there's, I mean, they're, they're, the, the nineties was a really great, like people were fighting above their weight, below their weight and winning. Yeah. You know, at a pretty exciting clip. Yeah. So. Um, it was very, I mean, Hearns is my, one of my all time favorite boxers. He was the first to really get the four titles and then 
Sugar Ray Leonard got jealous and he he scripted something to get five by winning by doing a Henry Armstrong type of deal, which was kind of ridiculous how they did it. So, uh, but they, yeah, he, he ends up, and then now I think it's, then, then the paper champion stuff took over and, and that record just kind of is meaningless today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a good one. Well, I think I, the reason I think that boxing has really lost its luster and where it lost, where it lost popularity is it's just, I mean, this is, I mean, this is just the good old fashioned American greed getting the best of you is the, it just the, the pay per view just got ridiculous on it. And that's yeah. going to be the that's going to be the downfall of MMA. I'm telling you right now, that's going to be the downfall of MMA. Right now, it's extremely hot. I think it's actually on. I think it already hit its apex mountain. To be honest, like I think it's on the downside of the apex. Yeah, because there's just so much money in it now, and there's so much money in the pay per view. Like, like Coop, you have. I, I think we talked about this at one point. You do you know how much it costs a bar? Like you and I can buy the MMA fight and watch it at oh, home. Oh, it's that, uh, look, like look, set, I, like seventy bucks or something like that. We can watch it for seventy dollars. Do you know how much it is for a bar? Thousands, thousands. Look, I know I could tell you there was a cigar place in Charlotte that got closed down, and they were finding ways around it, and they got caught, and they got caught, and they got fined for it. Yeah, yeah, it it's happened. Sick. So you have, yeah. And it's obnoxious amount of money. And that yeah. honestly, that's pretty, it's pretty fucking stupid yeah. that they got fined over it. Like, because it's like, like that again, that's the, that was the downfall of boxing was because it became such a pay, you know, not to put a play on words here, but it, was, it became such a pay for play kind of thing. I mean, the boxing was so popular, much like horse racing was so popular. And the reason sports captivated the American mindset was that you could, this is something that you could listen to on radio and then finally see on television for the first time. And it's the same problem. Again, it's also, it also contributes to our favorite sport, Coop. It contributes to the fact that baseball isn't as popular as it is today. People can talk about the pace of play all they want. The reason why baseball isn't as prominent today is because it's not, it's not as widely available. You know, growing up, I didn't watch a lot of baseball. I listened to a lot of baseball, yeah. but I didn't watch a lot of baseball. And the reason I didn't watch a lot of baseball is because baseball was on fucking cable. And I was we were poor. I didn't have cable. Yeah, we didn't have cable in New York till I was about 20. We just didn't. We weren't wired for cable for a long time. That was yeah. a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, all right. Wanted to play into some of your favorite sports today, Coop. Yep. So this this Chicago Blackhawks player scored a hat trick to reach 300 goals for his career. So I know I, I'm going to go Bobby Hall. It's got to be Bobby Hall, but I don't remember the second part of this. I know there's another twist. That's the part I don't remember. I'm going to say Bobby Hall with that one. There's not a second part. I wanted to make it a little bit less vague. I wanted to make it a little bit more vague to make it more difficult. It's Bobby Hall. You got it. Right. I don't remember the law. And you mentioned about a lawsuit. That's why I don't remember the lawsuit. Oh, no, no. 19, no, that's a separate sport. So. Oh, okay. That's another question. Yeah. Yeah. That's another question. Yeah. Okay. No, Bobby Hall did it. Uh, scored a hat trick. His 17th of his career at the time uh, to reach 300 goals, which he was the first Chicago Blackhawks player to reach 300 goals. So I knew if I had said, hey, the first Blackhawk, you would have gotten it. I know if I had said like, you know you know, this all time Chicago Black Sox great or like I just I worded it very vaguely just to kind of give it a little bit of a challenge. You got it right though. Okay. No, in nineteen so no, this is a separate question. In nineteen seventy, this famous sports lawsuit was filed. 
It's got to be Flood versus Kuhn. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's the only one I can think of that would be, uh, yeah. They were easy ones. But I know that. that the Freddie Cochran was hard. I'll give you that one. That, that was, was hard. hard. If you didn't tell me that one, I wouldn't have got it. I forgot about that one. He was a transitional. It was a good. That was a good question. Yeah, Kurt Red's a landmark case. Yeah. All right. Good job. All right. So let's get into our uh, before we get into our top ten. We're going to do our uh, Tobacco Lure USA. Great things are happening segment. Um, and that's brought to you by Tobacco USA, making an iconic brand such as Monte Cristo, Romeo and Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco say great things are happening here. Boy, Raphael had a big comeback at the end of, of the award season. Did you notice? Mm-hmm. Um, he got number one on Rob Report, number one from Cigar Snob for, yeah. for the Sonata, which is a great cigar. It 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 didn't end number 12 on the coupe list, but I was glad to see Raphael. He, those are big awards for him. Those are yeah. big awards for Raphael. I know he didn't get the CA one, but uh, Rob Report's nothing to schlouch about. Um, so... And, you know, Cigar Snob obviously been around a long time. So then I don't I didn't see either of those coming. So I was surprised. You know, the Rob Report one surprised me because you think about all the higher priced cigars that came out and that one was still picked. Mm hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. So I uh, I know he was very surprised with both of those. So uh, but we have some good news uh, besides that. Uh, Bear, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first on this one? Uh, Yeah. Go ahead and pull up my car. Go ahead and pull up my article. Coop. Yep. I'm going to do that right now. Just really quick. It's just a feel-good story, yeah, uh, and it's a little punny. So why the fuck not? I almost did another story, but the problem why I didn't do it, I'm going to be honest with you, is it wasn't good news. My other story, so I, I had, a, I had, a, I'll tell you offline what it was, um, because uh, yeah, it, the spirit of it wouldn't have been right. So, um, but it is, well, it, it is that good things are happening here, Coop. I'm glad you didn't pick. No, I didn't. Story. It, it was good news. It was good news, but it was bad. It was to address something bad. And I said that wasn't the spirit of what we're doing. So gotcha. I want to I keep to Raphael's mantra here. And wow, this looks like Bear, Ben's friend. <laughs> it does look like Ben's friend. Um, yeah, so, it does look like Ben's friend. I'm not kidding. No, it does. Um, so actually, uh, a so there's, I think a lot of people. You know, it's interesting. You know, we're, we've talked about the war going on between Russia and the Ukraine several times during this segment and during the course of this podcast over the last uh, year plus, which is unbelievable that this is still going on. But it's interesting to think about that, Goop, while you and I are going, you know, going to the grocery store or filling up our gas and doing life as normal here in the United States and, and, and millions of other people across the world where they're going through. There's a there's 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 a war going on you know, in the Eastern part of Europe, you know, with between Russia and the Ukraine. So there's a lot of things that get forgotten, like going to the zoo, for example, you know, the zoo, you know, is a, is a pastime that we enjoy as Americans. And, you know, there's some fantastic zoos in this country, none other than better than the Fort Worth zoo here in Fort Worth, Texas. I just want to shout that out. Um, but the, uh, the important thing here, uh, you know, is that there was an abandoned zoo in the Ukraine, you know, and wow. these are, these are, these are living creatures, that were left to their own devices. And this is, it's really, 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 it's really sad. Um, but a, uh, a group of Scottish zookeepers actually um, uh, rescued, um, rescued a bear from an abandoned zoo uh, in the Ukraine. Now this zoo had actually been hit by, by, uh, by, by shells, you know, by bombs, you know, and so a lot of animals uh, obviously lost, but uh, lost their lives and everything. But this bear, in particular, yeah. featured in this article, was rescued. 
and now is thriving uh, in the in the United Kingdom. So uh, it's an Asiatic black bear uh, and was discovered by Ukrainian soldiers when they entered uh, the village of, of EMP and uh, which had been under the Russian occupation for a few months and everything. So it's amazing that this animal even survived considering it was still in a captivated state. Right. So uh, really, really cool story. And, and I, I just thought it was like, again, a little punny. I'm a bear bear, of course, um, you know, you know, and my, my kid's mother is a zookeeper. So of course, you know, I had to, I had to pick the story. So yep. it's, um, and you're Ben, and, so you're yeah, exactly, and exactly. And Just so many, so black, many yeah. things. And yeah. Ben, and Ben has many friends yeah, that are yeah. black bears up in Black Mountain, uh, yeah. North Carolina. So, um, it just, it just really stuck out to me. It it's just problem. really great. Like, it, again, and and you see these stories. You know, you see these stories dating back to all the war. You know, dating back throughout war. You know, where, you know, soldiers adopt a. You know, you know, the war bear was an adopted bear. War check. You know, uh, made. You know, and. You know, there's there's just really cool stories about wartime stuff that that happened. So that this was a this was a rescue job by some Scottish zookeepers, and this uh, this wonderful creature is now thriving in a UK zoo. That's beautiful. I love it. I love it. So, I didn't know a bear was doing a bear theme because there was a bear theme with mine. <laughs> All right, I did not notice. Uh, mine's completely different than bears, though. Um. So let me, I have to, I, cause I want to show, I want to see if I can play the video of this. Okay. There's a video. So this goes, the bears I'm talking about here are the Hershey bears in Hershey, Pennsylvania. If you're not familiar with the Hershey bears, uh, they are a minor league hockey team. So they're in the AHL, which is the kind of like the AAA of hockey. Uh, they're the affiliate of the Washington Capitals and they had a promotion uh, where um, basically, and they've done this promotion before, but they broke the record here um, in that uh, if the team scores a goal, uh, basically uh, the fans can throw teddy bears uh, or stuffed animals, whatever it's, uh, on, on the ice. Uh, and the idea is these toys go to charity. All right. And um, let me pull this up. So they managed to get at the game, a recent game that they had um, last week at, at an arena called the Giants Center. And Giants just the name of a supermarket in, in Pennsylvania. Um, is that showing? Okay. And you can mm -hmm. see the ice here. But I got to show the video. The video is unbelievable here. So let's see if, I could, let's see if the video comes up. Oh, there they are. <laughs> this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. <laughs> I, I, is the, are you able to hear the announcing or no? No, I can't hear the announcing. Okay, the, okay. It's they're saying plush pandemonium. Look at this. Plush pandemonium. <laughs> <laughs> 74,599, they counted. <laughs> That's beautiful. That this is was fucking great. insane. The announcers are doing it. Look at this size. <laughs> They're trying to get this one over. Oh Look my at God. the size of this. Oh! How the fuck did they get that in the arena? That's insane. That's awesome. 
Yeah, that was, in my opinion, that was one of my favorite stories to do on this. That was great. That's awesome. That's I mean, hilarious. it wasn't, I, you know, I went to Mets Sea Cushion night like about 30 years ago, and the Mets were getting like drubbed, and the fans started throwing the seat cushions on, on the uh, field. That wasn't funny. Um, they had a, they almost had a forfeit the game, the Mets that night. Nuts. And everyone and I did not. By the way, I still have my Mets seat cushion. We did not. None of no, we were um, we were at a Mets game. I think it was my my uh, my daughter at the time. I don't think my boys were even born. Um, and we live in a New York game, but we I still have the Tropicana Mets seat cushion. I did not toss it. So there you go. Yeah. So that that is that. All right. So let's get to our top ten list. Uh, but before we do that, we want to thank. I'm our... going to take a bio break real quick. Go ahead. So yeah, I am going to uh, mention our friends at Michael's Tobacco. With just over a decade of ownership, Michael's Tobacco has become the premier tobacconist for the Dallas Fort Worth metro area and cigar patrons the world over. With two convenient locations in Euless, Texas, just a quick jump from the DFW airport, and Keller, Texas, Michael's Tobacco stands as a beacon for the Texas cigar retailers. Michael's was the very first cigar lounge in the state of Texas to add a full bar to its list of ever-growing accommodations. Proprietor Mike Peacock is a former IPC board member and now has made Michael's a family affair by having his son Bob join the ownership force. Together, they have brought a true and blessed mainstay for their respective communities. Whether you're celebrating an anniversary, birthday, hole-in-one, or just a desire to relax, Michael's Tobacco will have the perfect cigar rating with an exquisite beverage pairing and lively conversation. Visit michaelstobacco.com for more details and a calendar of upcoming events. Michael's Tobacco, not just a cigar shop, but the perfect blend of Texas hospitality and the days of yore. So I'll mention a little of our schedule before Bear gets back. Um, so Thursday... Uh, first time guest on primetime with Aaron and I, we have the one and only Jack Hire of Davidoff. Um, and Jack is got a great story in the cigar industry. Um, and we're looking forward to having Jack on the show. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I have a lot of respect for Jack and what he's accomplished, uh, in his career. Uh, and he is a fun guy. He's an entertaining guy and he's a very knowledgeable guy. Uh, he always does his homework coming on a show. Uh, he, in my opinion, is the, um, what I would, I, he's like the Jim McKay of cigar media. Like when you've seen him do those Drew Estate, uh, host those Drew Estate, uh, freestyle live shows. Um, and he, no one did it better than he did. Um, but he, you know, great career. He started out with Dojo and worked his way to Davidoff. So we're going to talk, obviously we'll talk to Jack. And we'll talk Davidoff. We'll have some fun with him that night. Uh, we'll get some. We'll have him for the whole show. So excited for Jack Hire to make his prime time debut. Uh, and then uh, we have a jukebox show scheduled for Monday. Uh, and this is going to be a weird one. I'm just telling you. Um, it is a. We're going to do album archaeology number fourteen, and we're going to do a new album. And it is a. Different. It's different than anything we ever did. Uh, I'm not going to try to explain it on this show, but we're doing Peter Gabriel's I.O. album, which is a very unique album. I'll just say that. This is the toughest show I've ever had to prepare for because this album is a very complex album. Uh, and I'll just kind of, you know, we'll get into it on the show. So Dave, I think I'm going to be relying a lot on Dave with this, who's really been on top of this album. So we're going to do Peter Gabriel I.O. And I think we'll all learn something that night. So stay tuned on that. But that's what we have coming up on the next two shows. And Bear is back. Yep. Thanks, Coop. 
Yep. Um, and then the last thing I'll just say is we're going to get into our top 10 list. But we're down to 10 degrees, by the way, here in Texas. Yeah. We're going to keep bear. That's why I'm, I don't want him to be here. Like, when it gets into the single digits. Um, but last thing I'll say is um, starting a week from today, on the 23rd, we will start rolling out the five primetime awards. Um, and we've, 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 uh, the ballots are in, they're certified. So I am doing the final write-ups and, uh, we have our small, medium factory of the year, large factory of the year, small, medium company of the year, large company of the year, and our person of the year. This did not go as I expected. And that's not in a bad way. Um, but I think our team took a different look. I've seen other people do these awards. Ours is very different than everybody else's. And there's a lot of diligence that was put in on that. So I'm really excited when we unveil those awards. Uh, and then I have to get them right ordered for PCA. I have to get the order in now so we get them. So so we'll have that. But Bear, we uh, we have now completed uh, another year of top 10 list. Uh, Bear, was this your seventh, sixth or seventh time doing it? So I've been... Uh... So I celebrated my sixth year anniversary in November. So six. I, it's, but, yeah, I, we, but no, but I've done seven. So I did a 2017 list. That's right. You did. Yes. You know, the Espinosa Habano, number four. My 2018 winner was the EP Carrillo uh, Encore Valientes. Right. My 2019 was the Christoph Vengeance uh, Perfecto. My number, uh, t- my 2020 was the, uh, the La Barba uh, Crew Maxi Soul. Yep. Ricochet crew max to soul. My 2021 um, was the rave, uh, the dissident rave. My 2022, um, yeah, 2020, yeah, 2021, 2022 um, was the um, uh, Espinosa, Espinosa, um, crema box press Toro. Yep. And then my 2023 champion, which we'll talk about in just a little yep. bit. So we'll get into that. So, uh, what I would say is um, encourage you guys to check out uh, El Oso Fumar Takes, the uh, the January uh, 6th show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember. I'm sorry. I don't remember. January 7th. January, January 7th. 7th. January 7th. Right. January 7th show. I don't remember what take it is. I apologize. <laughs> but... It's okay. Uh, it's, it's 276. Okay. 276. So, uh, Bear has the most unique show uh, where he rolls this out, and uh, he had George Brightman on uh, for the second year in a row. Yeah. Uh, there's no, there's no better countdown show. It's a long show, but you're gonna learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very George is very candid. Uh, look, George, I talk about I talked about Jack Hire being the um, like the Jim McKay, but George Brightman is the Walter Cronkite of our industry. I mean, he he is. John Chancellor, however you want to put it, he is the ultimate dean of cigar media. Hector calls me the dean. The real dean is 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 George Brightman. We wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't be doing today if it wasn't for George Brightman. So, uh, and he he knows a lot about this because he did this with a scarfish. He worked for scarfish. I don't think he actually did the list. So, but he knows how a lot about this. So, it's he's it's the fa- reason the list exists, though. Yeah, he is the reason the list exists. He's the reason that we have lists, Coop. Yeah, he is the reason we have lists. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I was thinking maybe I know we want to get I want to get him and Pete back and do another replay of the Drake Braper dialogues, which we did for our five year anniversary show, um, which was just an amazing experience. So, uh, 
but uh, it, it was great to see George. Um, uh, he was he's always prepared. He's candid, but he's also very respectful. Uh, is what I'll say. So you definitely please check that show out. This is not meant to substitute that. But Bear and I, we vote. We've kind of I think every year done this, and we've just kind of uh, just give our thoughts and perspectives and on on, on the various cigars. And we'll do these in inverse order. Bear, I have all your graphics, by the way, so I can pull oh, up the graphic. You. Yep. So that will make it a little easier so people can see that. So I will let you in honor kick this off. Uh, we will start with your number 10 cigar for 2023. And this is a cigar that I had on my list at number eight as well. So here we go. Guardware Robusto yep. by Christoph. Yeah, I, I like uh, the pick. I like the pick. I like you know. I had it at eight. We were pretty close on that. I like the pick. Yeah, it was the second time Kristoff uh, actually appeared in my top ten. Uh, the, the first time that they were the number one cigar of the year uh, in uh, twenty nineteen, as I just mentioned. Um, and then this this is the the second time that they appeared in my top ten, and they were at the bottom of the list. The bot the bottom being number ten, but of course there was the top ten cigars. Yeah. Um, I George really loved the cigar. Uh, he actually. Gave I was surprised. I was surprised. I was surprised with this. I'm liking this cigar. He really liked it. I really love it as well. And if you look at my, if you again, if you look at my criteria, coop the big one of the biggest points of criteria. Again, it's not it's not scoring based, and so yeah. it's not flavor. So there there are cigars. If you consider like some like, and this is going to come up actually later on in the discussion, there are cigars that I enjoy. You know, in the the the, the latter half of the the list, I wouldn't say so much at the top list i think it's pretty even keel at that point um but at the bottom half of my top 10 there are cigars that like this one for instance honestly would have placed higher had i smoked it more because my biggest point of criteria when i do my top 10 is the frequency in which i smoke it well bear if you liked it so much why didn't you smoke more of it well i would have except for my access to the cigar wasn't exactly available yeah and that's not a knock on christoph and that's not a knock on any necessarily local retailers and I'm not trying to be like dismissive of it, but the fact is if I can't get the cigar, you know, for one reason or another, again, this isn't on Christoph. Christoph's supplying guardrail. It's not necessarily always on the retailer, maybe the only a certain number of retailers. They can only carry so many cigars. And I'm not, and I'm, uh, forgive me, I'm not going to buy, I don't buy a lot online. I just don't. That's right. just not the way I work. I, I support brick and mortars. And there's a lot of online purveyors that are brick and mortars that I do support. And that's, that's to that you know again it, it, it's all well and good but yeah. point is is I, this cigar probably would have been higher on my list had I had better access to it because I probably would have smoked more of them to be honest I really like the cigar I really love the blend uh, particularly the X factors the Zimbabwe tobacco that's in the filler which is just I think is pretty kick ass yep um, and uh, I think Glenn did a fantastic you know Glenn and his team did a fantastic job with the cigar it's it, it's it's immaculate man it's fucking delicious I love it. it. it it is. It's a. Um, I was. It was eight on my list. Um, which uh, you know. So that Zimbabwe tobacco is the X factor. They brought. Look. Let's be, let's be really clear. I know there's been a few other Zimbabwe releases I've seen, but Glenn brought Glenn and his team brought this one to market first. As far as a major release, he doesn't take claim to be the first, but he he made this popular. Um, and bear, it's a blend that not necessarily I like. It has a Brazilian wrapper on it. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, yeah, but I love this. Biggest... I love this cigar. Uh, ben Lee uh, gave me this cigar when we had when we were down in Miami last year. 
I fell in love with it. Um, and, uh, look, I, we have bought these cigars too. I'll make this very clear. Uh, I'll tell you when I didn't buy a cigar, by the way, on this list. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, we, this is a, a cigar I smoked a lot of, I don't have it. I don't have a concept of a rotation, yeah. but I smoked this cigar. I smoked a lot of these. Yeah. Cigars. In the interest of integrity, I will actually divulge everything on this list too. I will tell you that I, I was never given. Um, I was never given a Christoph Guardrail Robusto by Christoph or anyone else or any other retailer. I was never given. I've purchased every Guardrail Robusto that I smoked last year, both boxes and individuals. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that is that's 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 a fact. There that is not a hundred percent fact for everyone. And I again, I will divulge. I will divulge it as well I, as, I, as we go through this top ten listing. Yeah, I will divulge it as well. Um, so yeah, that was uh, in my opinion, it was a it was a great it was a great cigar. I had it at eight. Bear had it at 10. Uh, I was really glad to see it make both of our... I always like when a, a cigar makes both of our lists. All right. So the next one up, I believe, is me. Well, damn it, Jay. Jay, fuck, Jay Davis has the guardrail. Shoot, man. Well, damn it, Jay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I support brick and mortar, Jay. Blue Smoke's going to have my business. Getting some more guardrails. Got I got I to be honest. I don't think I got these from Jay either. I didn't know he had them, but... Um... But there's plenty Jay got for off my list. Jay's got some of the Jay's got some pretty premium stuff on my list. I think though. Jay's got all. I think Jay has almost all my all my cigars. Yeah. So if you uh, like my top ten, everybody go see Jay Davis yeah, at Blue yeah, Smoke. Yeah, Jay, feel free to to hawk whatever you want um on this. So um all right, so now it's my turn. Uh now my list is a little different, as people know. It has to be reviewed. Uh. One year prior, in, in a one-year period prior to October 31st, and it has to be released no later than before the PCA trade show. The idea is the cigar is in the market for 100 days before it gets ranked. That's kind of the concept I've used. So I like to see how the cigar is in the market. So this is a release. So people say it's a 2022 release. Yes, it was. Um, and I have no, I have no qualms about it. Um, but I, this is the first time this brand has made the top 10 on my list. Uh, this is the Placencia Almaforte Colorado Claro yes. Eduardo one, the Toro yes. site. Uh, now that is the Colorado Claro. The, the photography came out awful with this. It's more green, but if yes. you kind of zoom it, you'll see the green uh, as well. I'll tell you. Uh, but this is the Almaforte where they basically put the lighter wrapper on it. Uh, and love I love the cigar coupe. Great I, call. Thanks. And I think this really hit home when uh, they did the Toro. I, I think I'm I'm in a little bit of the minority with the Almafortes. I like the more traditional sizes they do with the Almafortes. This is a very traditional Toro size cigar, um, and you know I have no qualms of um, you know putting this in. I think it was a, a cigar I smoked a lot of. Uh, in disclaimer, I did not buy boxes of this cigar, but I bought many of these cigars. Um, so this was one I did not buy a box of. So, um, but we, like I said, uh, no samples received with this one either. Um, so, but yeah, I, I've been, uh, I've been a big fan of this cigar from the time it came out. Uh, it was an easy top 10 for me with this. Um, and, uh, price, it's not cheap. It's 22 bucks, this cigar. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's not a cheap cigar, but, uh, very, very enjoyable. Uh, it's my favorite Placentia release to date. Uh, under the placenta. Oh shit! High praise. Yeah, I love the Colorado Claro. I um, do too. I think that yeah, I wasn't I, as big I, a fan of the hex one as this one, but I just I don't oh, like I, the, the hex. I, I don't like the oh, hex size. Oh, I don't like. Oof, so good. But 
But I thought that hex size was better than the Almaforte hex hex size. Yeah, I I I I love I love both of them. The Colorado Claro actually is my favorite of the two blends. Believe it or not, I'm mine too. My, overall, it's mine too. Yeah, yeah I, I, I I fucking love it though. I mean, God, it's so good. There's this one like uh, aficionado. They don't like those Claro releases as much as the darker releases. I've noticed they do okay. You yes. like put a Claro on it, but but yeah, that was um. It like I said, this was a, my top ten was pretty easy to do this year. It really fell into. I was very, I was very happy with my top ten this year. I was really Me happy too. how. Yeah, I, last year I wasn't as happy with it. not so much the cigars, but just how it just everything landed was a little weird. But this year I'm extremely happy with it. All right, so we are back to Bear. Let's go to Bear's number nine cigar of the year. Um, and this one, I know you have a lot to say on this one. And I, I'll add some commentary to it as well. I like the pick, by the way. So this is not a criticism mm -hmm. of it. Um, but I kind of suspected this was going to land on your list. So here we go. Yeah, the United Cigar Maduro Toro. Uh, so number nine cigar, 2023. So what's interesting about this cigar is it went through a re-blend. So therefore, it's a new yeah. cigar. Yeah. So... They had the United uh, Maduro Tour was on the market prior to this release. It was a broadleaf cigar. It was box pressed, um, and I smoked a, I smoked a ton of those candidly um, back uh, back before this new release. And so it's a it's a new Parejo size. It's a Mexican San Andreas wrapper, and uh, I I really enjoy this cigar. I was I was smoking this quite a bit. I mean they're incredibly affordable. Um, they're, they're fantastic smokes for, you know, they're, they're, and I even said this on the show, it's probably my least complex cigar in the top, in my top 10. Yeah. Uh, but it just goes to show you that you can enjoy a non-complex cigar. Not everything has to be a roller coaster ride of flavor and take you through a lot of transitions to enjoy a smoke. And this is a, this is a cigar that embodies that, you know, it's an affordable cigar. That's incredibly flavorful. Uh, no, it's not terribly complex, but I enjoy the shit out of it. And, and, and I was smoking quite a bit of these. Um, and I, and I was buying quite a bit of these actually too, yes. um, to, to make this point. Um, I was, I was gifted a box. Um, I was are. gifted a, I was gifted a box later, uh, in late 2023 in the summer of 2023, uh, by Oliver Nouveau of United Cigar Group, um, because Oliver and I got together and did a campaign, uh, for United Cigars, and it was the 20 Days of Freedom, which was I smoked a United Cigar every day from Flag Day, you know, June 14th to um, to July 4th, um, uh, and you know, celebrating American Independence. So there's exactly 20 days between. And Coop and I actually had a disagreement on how many days were in. Between. I was actually, yeah, I think you missed one. Uh, it's 20, technically 20. July 4th is the 21st day, but there's 20 days in between. The in between is the point. So. Yep. Um, so I smoked a I smoked a United cigar every day in between, and Oliver was kind enough to gift me a box. But before that, I was buying several more. So actually, uh, I had more. I had this was the cigar that I actually smoked the most of. Um, you did? Oh, excuse me, the second most of in my top ten. Well, bear. Well, why did it fall away to nine? If frequency is the biggest thing again, I, what I was saying about cigars being you know, what they are and the cigars that I enjoyed. Again, this is my top 10 cigars of the year. I smoked more than 10 cigars all year. Like guys, I smoked a shit ton of cigars and, but I still love this smoke, man. I yeah. smoked a ton of it. Uh, there's a reason it's in my top 10. 
Uh, it's because I enjoy the hell out of it. I, I, I would recommend this cigar to anybody. Um, cause I think it's, I think it's that versatile. It, it being a Maduro, I think a light bodied smoker could enjoy the cigar without being too egregious. I think a fuller bodied smoker will find this really nice and easy going and a really nice cigar. So it's, it, it's one of my top 10. It's one of my favorite cigars of the year. It's one of my favorite cigars. I still have a ton of them. Um, and I still, I smoked one Saturday actually, uh, to put two point of, not put to, to not put too fine a point on it. Um, and they're smoking great. They also aged really well too. I've had yep. that. The one I smoked on Saturday was eight. Yep. It was about, had about, mm, I think it had 10 months. If I was, if I remember correctly, about 10 months of age on it, you smoke it pretty good. I kind of took a little bit of the edge, that little bit of that, 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 that kind of rounded, rounded the edge off a little bit too. So yep. I would imagine that if this sat for about a year or two, you could have a really nice, cool Maduro smoke. Um, and I'm I'm going to test that out because I'm really excited about it now because I'm such an aging nerd. But it was really it's a great cigar, man. I would highly recommend. If there was ever a cigar that needed a rebrand and a refresh, I thought it was the United Blind. It's their eponymous line, um, and they reblended it. Uh, they should have a United cigar being United cigars. Uh, and Oliver and his team did a great job. Uh, this scored an 89 on Coop, so just missed the list. But I will say this. So Bear talked about that campaign. When we were in Miami, Bear was talking about this cigar, how much he liked it. Before there was a United campaign. So this is in March. The United campaign ran in June. Bear was talking about this. Cigar. He was on on with this cigar. And it was a way for him to kind of work with United Cigars uh, in a great campaign. So if anyone's saying, well, Bear got a box. No. He was buying this guy who was smoking. He was like, you have to smoke. I think you uh you might have given me a couple of these and then I I yeah. said like I said uh so I wasn't surprised that this landed I think it was about right where I would expect it uh like I said it just missed the coupe list at eighty nine um um but but yeah I thought it was a good I thought it was a good job you did with it. and I think they did a great job with that Maduro by the way yeah, I love uh, the, it the new packaging really helps too it was mm-hmm. that, they redid the United logo. So it's it's really nice that they the natural is really good too. I just prefer the Maduro. I prefer the Maduro. I agree. And I think they, I think Oliver did a great job. It was a necessary. I I would like to see them maybe try to rebox press it again. I'd be curious. Yeah. To, I uh, like with this point, I, I am. But I like that they went to a Parejo. By the way, I think it was uh, if that's how it smoked better, then do it. But I think it was, this was a and yeah, this ain't an expensive cigar, right? This is like I want to say seven eight bucks. Seven, seven bucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, so that is it's a fan, it's a fantastic cigar, man. Highly yeah. recommend. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. All right. So now it's my turn. Um and uh let me pull mine up. Um pull yours down, pull mine up. Number nine. Uh this is a brand that uh another cigar was released in twenty twenty two. Uh I think when it hit the market uh for twenty twenty three, it really uh came into its own. It's a regular production cigar, um, and I have bought a box of these. Um, I bought several of these, and that cigar is the Tatawai Havana Six Veracruz Blue Number One. Nice. So I went That's Toro smart. again. Uh, I was really glad to put a regular production cigar by Pete Johnson on this list, um, and I think this is a very good this that shade grown Corojo wrapper. He worked hard on this, and you get you know. If you're sort of Pete, you know, Pete's going to be doing more with Corojo, by the way. So Nicaraguan Corojo. So stay tuned on that. Uh, 
I believe he's got, I believe he's doing the, uh, the, uh, Kahono 2012 with a Karaho. So I believe that nice. was the one he's, yeah. So he said that on the show, uh, bear love this cigar. It's just, uh, to me, the Toro size was the one that, that made it well, $12, very good price point on this. Um, so uh was really was really very happy uh to, to put this one on the list. It was a good year for my father the factory. Uh it's the eighth time that Pete has made this list. So Pete has a good track record on Coop. Um and like I said, I was really most of the stuff he's made on my list has been limited. So I was really, really glad to put a regular production cigar on this list. Um and I enjoyed this cigar. Yeah, it it was a, it was a standout blend for sure. I didn't smoke it for the first time until late. You know, or actually early this year, it actually technically is eligible for my list next year. Um, and but it's a it's a phenomenal cigar. Yeah, um, and, the, and the number two, I'd like to. Like he did. Um, I believe he did one also in the advent calendars for twenty twenty two. I believe that's correct. Yeah, and in the little four by forty six, which which that advent calendar is awesome. Thanks to Seth guys for gifting me the advent calendar. But it is the number. My list, like your list, is Batola based. And it was the number one that blew me away with this one. Nice. Good call. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm curious to see. We'll see if that lands. I'm, did I'm you buy all of your cigars? Did I, you blend I, all I, your, your I got all my I bought. I bought those cigars, yes. I bought a box of those cigars. Did I buy multiple boxes of that cigar? No. I, I only can smoke so much and store so much. There are multiples coming up. So, I'm very, very happy about that one. Um, and for, uh, it's a shame we have to do say that, but we have to say it. So, I think it's important for accountability I, and transparency. We, I think it's fine. Coop's been disclosing this information for about four years right now. So we've always disclosed. And Pete is a sponsor, by the way. Disclaimer of uh, of Cigar Coop. Oh, that's a good point. Yes. United Cigar is. A, well, again, I, I had a campaign with them. They are a sponsor of Ellos for more takes. Yeah. Yep. Good point. Sorry yep. about that. Yep. Yep. Call. yep. Yep. No, that's OK. That's guy. I forgot that one, too. So, yes. All right, we're going to go to you. Now, Bear, this one was another one we both had on our list. Mine was a little lower as well. Uh, but I loved I had a, I had the same size as you with this one, too. So I think we were thinking alike with this one. And, mm -hmm. uh, again, this was uh, no surprise to me this landed on the list. I mean, we've been talking about the cigar since the summer. And here we go. Yes, the uh, Selección number 1 Natural Porosos by HVC Cigars. Um, so Rainier Lorenzo has done really well on my list in the past. This is his fourth time in my top 10. Um, um, and, uh, this is actually the lowest he's ever been in my top 10 at number eight. Not to um, talk about. Yeah. No, again, it's top 10 cigars of 2023. So it's not like, yeah, again. Um, but this is the lowest that he's ever been. Um, again, it happened to do with availability, I think. Um, this cigar is an instant classic, man. You light this thing up and it is instantly, uh, you know, I don't like to use this word when it comes to cigars cause they're not, but it's instantly addicting. It has a very, it has a very, uh, captivating flavor. It captures you right from the light. Yep. Uh, and it's a cigar that you can smoke all the way down to the nub. It doesn't get too acrid or acidic at the end. It doesn't burn too hot, nice, cool smoke. Um, and it's just a fantastic job by HVC. I'll, I'll go on this. It, it, it's probably my favorite HVC release since the Serie A. And you know how much I love the Broadleaf Coupe. Yeah. I think this is a better cigar than the Broadleaf. Yeah, it, uh, this made 14 on my list. Uh, here's what I was impressed with this cigar. 
So he did the Selection number one in a Maduro last year. Very good cigar. I think we agree. Very bold cigar. But he went with the Habano wrapper with this one. Now, I have not been a fan of Rainier working with a Habano wrapper. It's just the one wrapper he hasn't kind of grabbed me with. This one grabbed me. This was better than Maduro. It's, it's a little more dialed back. But what a fantastic cigar. The Poderosas is that 6x54 size. Uh, cigar under $11, $10.40. Regular production cigar, as all yours are. Um, and like I said, uh, fantastic, fantastic, um, fantastic cigar. So, yeah, so in disclosure of this, Rainier is not a sponsor, nor did anyone buy a box for me. I bought I bought two boxes of this cigar and smoked them uh, over the course of 20, uh, over the course of my, uh, yeah. my, uh, my smoking period. So, yep. Good, um, good cigar. Good cigar. Great pick. Great pick with that one. Like I said, uh, it's always good when we see them at least on the list uh, carefully. Now I'll just kind of show this one just because, uh, just so people could follow along at home. But uh, we already talked about this one um, on my list. It's the Christoph guardrail. So I'll just kind of put it up there for completeness there. Um, and just show it. So there we go. Garrel. So do you want to go back to your seven? You want me to flip and go to seven at this point? Yeah, let's go back to let's go ahead and go to seven. You can you do go ahead and you do seven. Let's just flip it. Go ahead and you, you do seven, then I'll do my seven. Okay. So we're gonna kind of flip it. So we we're, we're kind of going a little out of order, but this makes some sense. So this cigar uh is a company that um has the best track record in the history of Cigar Coop. Um, they find a way every year to get on this list. Uh, and the reason why they do is they make great cigars. This is a limited cigar that came out. Um, and it is by Espinosa Cigars, who has made the list 11 times. And uh, I did not buy a box of this cigar, but I bought multiples of this. So I'm going to be in full disclosure. They've been in your top 10 every, almost every year, too, right, Coop? Almost. Not every year, but they've been 11 years in a row on the list. So that's the most. And all those were consecutive. Uh, it's the Seis Provincias CMW by Espinosa Cigars. Um, you know, who's also es a sponsor, by the way. Also a sponsor, by the way. Like I said, they're a sponsor. They came on as a sponsor um mid-year last year. Um, but this is um this is the fourth installment of the Seis Provincias. So three of the four, it's an annual release they do. They pay homage to Cuba. This is the province of um this is a province of uh, Camagüey is the promise. Uh, CMW is the name of it. Uh, so it's a province that's like this in old Cuba. It was the second most eastern province uh, on there. Um, I also did have some samples that were incorporated uh, when I first smoked this. So I want to disclose that I did receive some samples early on. But then there were others smoked. Uh, every cigar on the list is rebought. Um, so sa no samples are used when I re-smoked the cigar is an important point to make. Do you review uh, samples, Coop? Yes. We do review okay. samples. There's nothing wrong with reviewing samples. No, I didn't say that. I was just asking. No, I know it is. I know it is. But, you know, there's people who think it's an evil, like you're evil. Um, no, it, we review samples. Um, it helps us. Uh, but like I said, when it comes to ranking the cigars at the end of the year, that's a different story. Uh, and sometimes I can't get the cigar um, with a limited. It's tough. But this one, um, I did not get the pack. And, and the reason why I didn't buy the box is I just, I just didn't have room for the for the store, the packaging is beautiful on this cigar. It's got those open doors and everything. It's it's really nice, but I just couldn't couldn't do it uh, with it. But uh, 
you know, the Warhead's one that makes my list almost every year, but Seis Provincias is the other annual limited re release. Uh, not a cheap cigar. It's $18, by the way. Uh, but it's uh, it's got a Habano 2000 wrapper, so, you know, Eric's happy. He's got a comes out of the San Latino factory. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, enjoy, I enjoy this cigar a lot. Uh, I wish it would come back. Uh, I've tried it. I've had this cigar in a short Robusto, by the way. Hector's got some of those floating around, but they haven't been released. So this is the this is the Toro size, which is six by fifty box press. Nice. Yep. So we are going back to Bears number seven right now. Um, so it's a little I just I have to do this this way because um now this one is a cigar that made the coop list in the past. Uh and I believe it was at number twelve last year. Uh, so again, another cigar that um, just happens to Bear and I have in common. It's just how we do our list and criteria is a little different. And I love this cigar. This is the Casa Magna Liga F by Casada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Toro size specifically. Um, yeah, and this cigar was this cigar was sensational. A really wonderfully complex, beautiful smoke, uh, made with amazing tobacco. Um, if you remember, Coop, so when uh, we had that blending session. After the trade show in 2021, when Luciano Mireles came over and kind of broke down a lot of different tobaccos yeah. for us, remember we blind we blind tested him with a cigar. Yep. it was the Liga F that he yep. broke down, yep. uh, which was a really really cool exercise. Um, and um, and I couldn't agree more with some of Luciano's assessment uh, assessment about the tobacco that's used yep. there. Yeah, he did a good job. He did a good job with that. Yes. Yeah, he did. Um, and yep. that the cigar is made with amazing tobacco. Uh, wonder, uh, just a wonderful blend that really, really coats the palate with amazing flavors. It's probably one of the most complex cigars that uh, I made my top 10. Um, and uh, I was gifted to five packs of this cigar. One of the five packs was gifted to me by Ben Lee of Cigar Coop Coalition. And another five pack was gifted to me by a, a retailer uh, for uh, from a retailer uh, that I'm not going to disclose who the retailer was, but the retailer was paying paying me back. Uh, uh, it was a very nice, generous gift. He, he said for local patronage, but uh, which was very nice of him. He didn't have to do that. But uh, so I was gifted ten cigars over the course of it. I bought uh, I bought two boxes as well over the course of my smoking period, uh, and, and numerous other individuals uh, throughout that time. Uh, really enjoyed the cigar. Uh, clocks in at number seven i know it was in your top 20 uh your top 30 last year it was 12 it came in at 12 12 so a top 15 cigar for you making a top 10 cigar for me for this year um and uh really truly enjoyed it so yep uh that cigar if you remember that year at the trade show i think we all fell in love with that we smoked the petite size we all fell in love with that blend yeah. uh it's strongest just, cigar to date, I think, by Quesada, in my mind. Um, yeah, I would put it. I, actually, I know you never had that old TAA Fonseca they did. Oh yeah, I heard stories about that one. But no, that one's that was probably the strongest. But this one's what I mean. They did what Liga F is fuerte. Mm -hmm. So really good job. Uh, great. You know, the, you know, Quesada won our factory of the year last year, uh, and I had a lot to do with it. Uh, consistent mm -hmm. cigar as well. I I very much enjoy that cigar. Um. And uh, continue to smoke it. Like I, said, I don't have a rotation, but man, I'm gonna reach for if I'm going into a store and I see it, I'll buy it. You know. So um, let's go. Oh, so let's go to. Uh, okay, so this one is a very, very key cigar. We're gonna be talking about. Um, 
was I think this one shocked everybody. Um, it was uh, you had it as an honorable mention, um, which I understand why. I'm not picking on you with honorable mentions tonight, but it is. You'll save that fight for another day. Thanks, Kate. Appreciate it. Well, no, because I think you did a good job with how you used the honorable mentions. You you focused it more on the limiteds this year. So it wasn't like a participation trophy. Your criteria is it has to be regular. And that'll be the criteria going forward. It'll always be five lit five of my favorite limited edition cigars of the year of the of the smoking period. Yeah, I like that. And I like that. So um I did receive a we did receive one of my a, pieces of criteria is it has to be a regular production yeah, cigar. Yeah, so yeah. Um this is a combination of bought and box received with me. So it was uh it's and this is, comes from General, and this comes from Macanudo, and this is the cigar that the, has a broadleaf binder that's aged in the Flint Knoll uh, Cabernet Sauvignon barrels. Um, we were blown away uh, in the Churchill size when we did a smoking syndicate roundtable. It was the biggest surprise of the year. It's the best cigar that Macanudo's done, I think. Period. 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 Uh, it's the Period. second. End of discussion. The only I only had one other General cigar rank higher on a list, and it was. Do you remember the Artisanos, the Tabaca, the Bacacaro by Lagoria Cubana? The two, yes. the two, that was a home. I mean, that was a number four for me way back. So, this is a, like, you need to put your notion of Macanudo aside. This is just a complex cigar. Um, it's loaded with flavor. Um, it is just like, I, I think it's going to be an annual release, at least for the next few years, from what I understand. It's a seven by fifty-two, so it would fail our, it would fail the naming council to make Churchill. It's more like double Corona in my book. Yes. Uh, twenty-two dollar cigar. Uh, in disclosure, Alec Bradley is a sponsor for both of us. Um, that carried over there, but now STG is a sponsor for both of us. So I want to just. Correct. Make that in line. They continue with us this year. Uh, Barrett, you were the one who brought this cigar to the team. Correct. It, it's really you. You you had on Steve Abbott, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember that show when you smoked it. And uh, and I was even I had smoked the Toro size, which was good. But I you know I, I wouldn't have put that Toro size the top six. This Churchill size is the one that really really this not good. This cigar is a top two cigar that I have smoked in the last eighteen months. Period. It is that fucking good. I love the cigar. Yeah. I yeah. love the cigar. I would smoke I would smoke the cigar all the freaking time. It is it is so good. If Why there are I... any 2022s left, Get Churchill's em. left, pick them up. Buy them. Yes, it's $22. Take give your money away cuz you're not giving oh, your money away. Oh, it and is by the way, so fucking good. You won't be disappointed with the 2023 either. Very consistent. They did a I wish Justin would do more projects like this. I really, I really would. I think this is if General's going to do limiteds. These are the types of limiteds I want to see. I know they're a little more expensive, but I don't need, I don't need, uh, you know, punch spring rolls and stuff like that. Hats off to Justin, though. Like, let's not. I'm not going to pick on him like you on this one. I'm going to take. I'm going to give credit to a lot of credit to Justin on this. Oh, I do. Just, I just, yeah, but Justin's done something with barrel aging. He's really taken a liking to barrel aging. You know, he built out that relationship with Rabbit Hole. Uh, you know, AJ Fernandez uses yeah. it now. Like the, you know, so the diesels that are, he really has, he's really kind of fallen. I don't think he would admit this necessarily, but he's really gotten infatuated with barrel aging. 
And this is another unique barrel aging project with a, with a different type of barrel, you know, French oak yeah. with, you know, Sauvignon barrels. And I think this is an interesting, really interesting take on barrel aging cigars. And um, so I, I want to give Justin a lot of credit for, yeah, for, I do too. For, yeah. for, you know, you know what, making some really exciting stuff using, you know, barrel aging isn't new. Um, it was, I would say it was a fad probably about two years ago where you just saw a lot of it. Uh, and I would say almost an excess amount, but you know what? He really kind of dug in his heels in with it. And he's really had a lot of fun with it. And he's partnered with some great people. The folks at the Flint, no winery are outstanding. The fans of the show, by the way, uh, yep. shout great. out, shout out Captain to Aaron. Aaron. So. Yep. And yep. Uh, yeah, this cigar is so goddamn good. Holy shit. Yeah. It, it, uh, it's, yeah. It is fantastic. Um, and you mentioned what Justin's done with AJ. They've come up with a, they've come up with a technique that general, or STG has done across different lines that's involving aging the binder in the barrels. So they also did it with the Weller 2012, which was number 19 on the coupe list. So I think general, the way they're doing the barrel aging with the binder, and, and of course the diesels have been very good with that. The Buffalo uh, Trace cigars are also excellent. Yeah, they, they, this, this idea of not doing it to the wrapper or the filler, it, it, to me, it's the binder. Because what's happening is, this is my feeling, the binder is getting extra flavor right now with it. And that's, I think, and it's not overpowering the rest of the blend either. Yeah, agreed. I think what's interesting about the binder too, so for, for a long time, for a long time, and a lot of even manufacturers will tell you this, is the binder is actually the least flavorful component. It adds le- it adds less to the profile than any other tobacco. It's for combustion. It's, for combustion. it's combustion, right? But what Justin has done and, and the manufacturers that he's partnered with has created a created the renaissance, a binder renaissance. I'm going to keep using that word renaissance tonight. A binder renaissance, if you will, by actually having it contribute to not only the combustibility of the cigar, but also the flavor pattern and flavor profile of the smoke, which makes it that much more complex. Yeah. Again, I can't state this enough. This is a great pick. I'm just dis- I'm, where I'm disappointed is that it's number six on your list. Well, there was a lot, a, comp- a, lot a lot of competition. A lot of good competition. Yeah. I'm disappointed. Great- it was it was an honorable mention. So, <laughs> but I understand. It's that's not easy. regular production. What do you want from me? I have my criteria. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, I was also it. gift. I was also gifted some of these cigars as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was actually gift. I was actually gifted uh, uh, most of the ones that I smoked. No, uh, I don't no. fucking care. It's fucking good. It it's is. that fucking good. Well, I went out and bu- I did. I, go- I did go out and buy some. I did not buy a box. Um, but um, I, I in hindsight, I probably should have. Now I can't because they're yeah. not out there. But if you find one, I'll, 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 I'll buy it. Twenty twenty two specifically. Uh, I haven't had the twenty twenty three yet. It's fucking, but it's gonna right. be. If you say it's good, it's amazing. Yep, it's uh, it, I haven't done like a full evaluation of it, but it's very good with that. So, um. All right, we are going now. We are Bears number six. Um, so let me pull that one up. Uh, and uh, this one, I was I was a little surprised. It was not because of, not because of blending good. It's really good, but you uh, it was it was a 2023 release you had. Uh, but I was more surprised that this cigar didn't get love on a lot of lists this year. It it coop. It wasn't reviewed in time on coop. It's going to be reviewed on coop. But it's the uh, Knuckle Sandwich Connecticut Short Churchill, which is the box press by Espinosa Cigars. So Espinosa, after winning Cigar of the Year for Bear last year with another Connecticut box press, he comes by with the Knuckle Sandwich Connecticut. And uh, in that Short Churchill, uh, which is that 6x48 Espinosa size, uh, this was a great pick. This is a great I, – I am shocked that I didn't see this on more lists this year, this cigar. It's because it's a Connecticut coot. 
it is, but if Sabo Mesa Boule Blue can make it, you know. Yeah, I'm just saying. If Saka could do a connect, uh, this was, in my opinion, I love what they did with it. I'll let you talk, but I love what they did with this cigar. Yeah, no, I, would I love to see it on the coupe list this year. Yeah, and I think if you're comparing the two between my number one last year, the crema just has a lot more cream, <laughs> has a lot more creaminess to it. It's also got a lot less. Uh, it's just a much more rounded cigar, a little bit more subtlety to it. It still has that Espinosa bite, which is why I like it. I love it. I love Hector's blending. I've I said that numerous times on my show on Take Two Seventy Six. That Hector has a way of blending cigars that just hit my palate, man. They just do. There are certain cigar makers that just they just they they hit with me all the time. And Hector's one of them, and he does it again with another Connecticut in the short Churchill knuckle sandwich. Um, I I I adore the cigar. I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, it again. You know, it it missed it. It made it just made the cut the cutoff, which made it eligible for this year's list and popped it into the top ten. Um, um, and luckily got enough of these cigars. So, uh, bought. Um, bought all of these cigars. Espinosa is a sponsor of Cigar Coop Special Edition. Uh, I was not gifted any of these cigars. Espinosa is, uh, is actually has not given me one box of anything. Um, that's not to say that Espinosa hasn't given me cigars in the past. Uh, they don't they give out never... a lot of bo- they. We do get samples from them. Yes, we don't get a lot of boxes from them. I've gotten one box from them. The uh... I they did not. I have ne- never gotten a sample of my number one from last year. They have never given me a sample of the box press crema, uh, bo- the box press Toro crema. Yeah. Yep. That has never happened. Yep. I yep. bought every single last one of those cigars and it was f- fucking worth it because it's yep. amazing. Uh, and I bought every single one of these. It's a great cigar. Uh, I believe it's really, I think as a brand, this is going to be the one that becomes a superstar for, you know, just because it's, it's only out for a year. It's, it, for a brand to really connect in the marketplace, it takes several years. Uh, this is going to be a staple cigar for a long time. As long as Guy Fieri and Espinosa are doing business, this is going to be a staple cigar for them. Um, and, you know, I know Hector's a friend of ours, uh, a very good friend of ours. I talk a lot about James Brown. Hector is is really, really maturing as a blender in the last few years. He yeah. is doing some amazing, you know, amazing stuff. So what he's doing with Sumatra is – I hate Sumatra, and he's doing great stuff with Sumatra. So I mean, he did a Corojo this year with the uh, the last release, uh, the ZDT release of Seis Provincias that came out late last year. So he is he is growing. He's not the one trick crony with Habano anymore, and he's done some great Connecticut's. Yeah, he's done. He's done. He didn't do. I think he reblended Six Hundred One Black a bit, but you know that wasn't originally his. I'll tell you that. But um, I th- yeah, I think he had a lot to do with when Six Hundred One Black got released last year. Good pick. I haven't. So now I'm getting into my top five. I want to say something. None of the top five cigars were um were gift were were, were samples used, and none of the top five are sponsors. So and all the top five except for one had box purchases, and I'll talk about the one that didn't have a box purchase. So we are going, and this is a cigar bear. I did not see this on any list this year, and I'm scratching my head on this one. Um, I think the timing of it and the availability was a little tricky. This is a limited production release, so I would say it was more limited. It's not like one they make all the time, but it's ongoing. Uh, it comes from La Flor Dominicana. 
Uh, by the way, next show is the Super Bowl uh, show with John Carney, by the way. I know I'm not supposed to say that. But it is the La Florida Minicana Solis. Um, so this is the project that was done by Lito Gomez Jr. He played a key role in spearheading a lot of this project. Um, I, I doubt he blended it by himself, but I think he had a key role in the blending with this. Um, and this is a home run. This cigar, I just love this cigar. Uh, with all due respect to Lenox, uh, I think this is a better cigar. And um, to me, if this is Lito Jr.'s first crack at this, my goodness. Look, and we know Tony can do some great stuff as well. You know, the the uh, Chapter 1 and the Lenoxes and Capitolo 2s. Lito's, Lito's in good shape here. This is an amazing cigar. $13.20. Um, so it's not that it still is below average in terms of cost of the average cost on the list this year for the top 30 was $19. Uh, the average cost for a cigar reviewed on Coop was $15.66. So it's a, a very good deal. Um, I, I, I think this cigar didn't get the love it deserved this year. I think it was the timing of the release combined with the availability of release hurt this cigar. But I bought a box of it. I bought multiples of this one. Did I lose Bear? I'm right here. Okay, I didn't know you. You look frozen. That's why. Great cigar. So yeah. is amazing. Uh, great job by Lito Jr. He uh he is the real deal. I couldn't be happier. Uh, and like I said, Lafleur's, uh, they've had, they they've made the list four times and three times in the top ten, including a number two and a number three. But uh, this is an ongo ongoing release. I think it'll be like Lenox. You'll see it from from you know time to time. Get your hands on this one. All right, so we are now up to your five, right? We're up five, um, and this is another cigar that landed landed lower on the coupe list. I I suspected this was going to be exactly where it came for you, um, and this is a this is another next generation cigar. Mm -hmm. Uh, the and we both had this cigar on our list. Mine was a twenty six. Uh, the Sangre Nueva Double Perfecto by Casa Cuevas Cigars. This is the Alec Cuevas blend. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, I thought you might even have it a little higher, but um, I knew this was going to be on your list. Well, availability, availability also kept came into play with this one because uh, it was a little bit more of a limited limited size. It is regular production, but it's a more limited size. They did not make as many of these because it's a special size. It's the Double Perfecto. So uh, a full disclosure on this one, uh, Casa Cuevas is a sponsor of Scar Coop Primetime Special Edition, um, yep. and um, and I was gifted a box of these. However, ironically, I was gifted a box of cigars of these after the top 10 was released. So I want to give a shout out to Luis Cuevas for really trying to help me out. I could not. I had smoked through all of mine. I had bought multiple boxes. They're boxes of 10. I had bought multiple boxes of these, uh, three uh uh, three boxes to be precise. Um, smoke through all of them. Smoke some individuals as well. Bought and smoke some individuals as well. Um, excuse me. Bought four boxes. Yeah, forty. Because I smoke um, and uh, and um, and individuals as well. I smoked all of them. Didn't have any left. Needed to get one. Needed to get some to George. 
uh, contacted uh, Luis Cuevas because I had nothing else to, I had no other channels to go through. So I went to Alec and Luis and, and I talked to them just before Christmas. And they didn't know what it was for because I didn't disclose to them like, why I needed it. But I had special requests in mind. And uh, um, I asked for two cigars. I did not ask for a box. I asked for two cigars. And he's like, I got you, no problem. And he thought uh, he was doing me a favor, which he was. But he sent me a box, unfortunately, because of shipping around the holidays. It got here too late to be able to send out to George. Uh, but I told George I would get him some. I'm grateful to Luis and Alec and Denise and the entire Cuevas family. Uh, for their wonderful continued relationship and uh, and just being great friends of mine. Um, but this cigar was an absolute home run. Alec did an amazing job. What I really love about Alec's job on this is he really tapped into a lot of creative aspects. Absolutely. He, this blend on paper should not work. It <laughs> really should. It should it's, work. Like a, it's like a blender's dream. Yeah. Okay, so he uses a Cameroon wrapper, Ecuadorian, yep. okay, Cameroon wrapper. Uh, why not? Wait, yeah, I'm going to do a Cameroon wrapper. What else am I going to do to it? Well, I'm going to pay homage to my family for using some of the first uh, fire-cured tobacco, and I'm going to put fire-cured tobacco in the filler, and I'm going to put different nationalized. I'm going to throw in some Honduran. I'm going to put in Dominican tobacco. I'm going to throw in Nicaragua. I'm going to make this amalgamation and like this mad laboratory-style thing. But hats off to Alec for fucking hitting a home run, man. It The blend is insane. It's an insanely complex cigar. The fire-cured tobacco is amazingly complimentary. I did get George a cigar to smoke. I got him the Robusto size, which is actually my second favorite Batola in this. He fucking loved the cigar. He absolutely loved it. It was his, probably his second favorite of my top 10. Uh, actually, not... Probably it was. He was the second favorite of my top 10s that he smoked. He fucking loved the cigar. The cigar's incredible. And this is a hats off to Alec. George is very particular when it comes to the usage of Cameroon. Yes. he. Oh, I know. We, very there, was, there was a discussion last year on the list about that. Yes. And, you know, if you screw up Cameroon, he's going to know it and he's not going to like it. Because he has such an affinity for that particular tobacco. And he fucking loved the cigar, and so do I. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, Alec, bravo. Absolutely. Dude, standing ovation, young man. This cigar is incredible. I fucking love it. The Double Perfecto, if you can find it, grab it. If you can, get the Robusto. It's an amazing cigar. Absolutely. It uh, uh, Cigar Show Tim, uh, this was his number one cigar of last year. Yep. So it was. Uh, I think, you know, and, and the thing is, it's interesting is I think the Honduran tobacco, which is used as a binder, uh, I think it's the same leaf they used on the Patrimonio. I think it just worked better here. You don't see a lot of Honduran leaves on Dominican made cigars. Uh, I think Ernesto is the only one I could think of in recent time that's done some stuff. I mean, I'm sure there's others that people will remind me of, but you don't see that Honduran leaf used a lot. Um, they're using it. Um, the, the they found a way to absolutely get the fire cured to work. Did yeah. George, I forget? Did George detect the fire cured? Yeah, mm -hmm. he did. Okay, I forgot if he did, and I, th I thought he did. Uh, but it's it's a sliver of it, and they kind of kept that quiet until the trade show. You can smell it when you pull it out of the cello. Yeah, you can taste it. It's very very subtle though. And he had, that's a, that like I was say. I want to hats off to Alec for this man. He just freaking hit a home run. I mean. I really feel sorry for the second cigar he blends 
it's gonna be tough. It's like Lito Jr. is gonna have the same. Lito Jr. is gonna have the same problem. Uh, but you know, I like that we're seeing the, these young guys who I'm sure they're getting some help, right? But don't get me wrong. But I, but they're spearheading these projects. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen, like, been a fly on the wall when Alec like said, "I want these tobaccos." I want to do this. Yeah, I want to do this crazy shit. Like, so like. Here, here's here's why I say this, and because on paper this decision worked, like you just see the the, the different tobaccos being used, you, you see the fact that he's using a fire cured tobacco leaf in the blend with a delicate wrapper like Cameroon. It just it shouldn't work, it just shouldn't, and it does, and it works not just well, it works perfectly, and it's just it's just a tremendous tremendous job. What I really like about this in particular is it really reminded me when I first smoked the cigar, it really took me back. My first conversation with Alec, he was not, a, he was associated, but he was not a member of Casa Cuevas yet. Yeah. He was, same a, young, he was a young man still in college. So actually still is in school because the guy's is just, the guy's amazing. The kid's incredible, incredibly smart chip off the old block. Uh, Denise and Luis are very proud of him. Actually, and he, what, what a job he did at the trade show in this launch, by the way. Yes. Incredible. What I love about what Alec, th- th- this was a kind of a full circle moment for me because the first time I met Alec, we were actually in the Gurkha booth of all things. Casa Cuevas didn't have a booth at the trade show that year. But they make uh, a lot of Gurkha cigars. They make a lot of Gurkha cigars, which is why we were there. Yeah. Um, and Alec and I, Alec was just actually working at Neptune as an, you know, a tobacconist. Yeah. And him and I had a, probably an hour long conversation in the booth and all we did was talk about tobacco. Yes. And so to have him release a cigar a few years later and him talking about all the tobaccos that were in it, it like took me back to that conversation. It was like, man, yeah. you freaking well, did. T- Tim Long's on, by the way. Tim's Long's on, by the way. Good job. By yeah. T- yeah, Tim did a great job, by the way, of assessing that. Um, I yeah. mean, when I saw his review, it was I wanted to smoke it. Yeah, it was spot, it was spot on, man. Spot on. It was, on. It was a great like, job yeah. he did, Tim. Tim yeah. T- t- yeah. So Tim really picked up on it pretty early. He, he was I like, remember, the- yeah, it, what I remember with my conversation with Alec was yeah. like, it was there was a there was a little bit of jealousy, man, because Alec and I actually talked about this in our conversation. It was like my dream has always been to have my own cigar, to blend my own cigar at some point. Uh, and so we've actually talked about so to him to actually be able to do it, yeah, the, yeah, a little jealousy, but mostly pride. I mean, I'm just yeah. super proud yeah. of the kid. Um, and I say kid only because he's significantly so, so yeah, younger yeah, well, than they, me, yeah. and I'm an old man at I, 40 I years kids, old. I have kids his age, so I can say yeah. it. Yeah, um, he, um, he he's got an incredibly bright future yeah. in this industry. And I'm, I'm super proud of Casa Cuevas. Um, the, 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 they've, they've built themselves on the foundation of a, a truly great family legacy. The Las Lavas factory has produced some of the f- most, not only the finest cigars that we've seen in the last few decades in the industry, right. but some of the most unique blends that we've actually seen. Yeah. A lot of Casa Tarano is heralded. We still talk about Tarano cigars with such reverence they were manuf- a lot of them were manufactured at Las Lavas CAO cigars we talk about them with such reverence and dignity yeah. the, the 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 golden age of CAO cigars they were where were a lot of them made the Las Lavas factory yeah. Sam Lucia the the bad boy the ba- the, the innovator the genius of of the young genius at this time one of the saddest stories in all of the the the, the premium cigar the one industry. guy who admitted he got fired from a company the one guy who's ever admitted to getting fired in the cigar industry all the good stuff about Sam man where were his cigars made the Las Lavas and factory. give and give Sam so, credit man because Sam 
was a big part of that that fire cured boom about ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. I know I George remember. State. I know George Rico, and they deserve their place too on that. But yeah, that that black man. That was. But it. this was next. But this was next level in my opinion. Yeah. Um. And you know, big hats off. Like I said, I see Tim's in there. He said he's smoking a robusto right now. It was because of Tim that I really took an interest in this cigar. Mm-hmm. Um. And it landed twenty six. I have a lot of cigars on my list, guys. So. 26 is nothing to be shout, slouched about. It's a great cigar. Um, and uh, the Perfecto, in my opinion, like you, that was the one. Uh, but like I said, I love that we're seeing this next generation, uh, the Lito Juniors, the... Uh, the um, Alec Cuevas. Alex Cuevas, the Jose Manuel Blanco, mm-hmm. uh, which I'll be going to Tobacco or Parma this year, by the way, at Pro Cigar. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so I haven't visited that fact. So I love that we're seeing this right now. This is really, really key. And, you know, these all three of those kids, um, they're going to be great. They're going to be – this is the real deal. We're, this is not – This is, they're the real deal. Like you said, he's going to have a tough time topping this. So – Yeah. I would like – I'd love to see him do a Honduran Puro out of that factory. Cause they they do good stuff. It's with fucking Honduras. crazy. He's fucking know, crazy enough to do it, man. Make right, it work. but I can see him doing it. Yeah, I'd love to see him do a Honduran Puro, uh, because I think he I think he's got, and he's he's really like you said, he's learned a lot. I met him at the warehouse a few years ago, uh, when Gabriel was still alive, and I was just impressed with him right out of the gate. And he's and the a, way he a, kind of impre- he's an impressive young man. And when he, he gave that presentation to us, and we interviewed him at the trade show. I I turned to you know, and I'm a father, and I said. I said to Luis and Denise, I said, you got to be really proud of this kid. I mean, he said, I said the same to Lito as well. So, uh, and then Hochi. So I, I love seeing this. It's great. All right. I'm at four. This is going to be an interesting one. I have a lot to say on this one. All right. Number four on the coupe list. And this is another uh, company that you want to talk about, I think is really coming into their own. Uh, this is, uh, we're going to Oveja Negra Brands. We are going to Black Label Trading Company. And this is a cigar that was actually released a couple of years ago. So it was still eligible on the coupe list. Uh, and this is on your list as well. So we're going to have a lot to say. Now, you notice what it says. It doesn't say number four there. It says best cigar value of 2023. But it was. Mm-hmm. It, we'll, we'll get to that part. In a this is the Black Label Trading Company Deliverance Porcelain Robusto. So this was one of James Brown's first Connecticut blends that he did. Um, he did it in, originally in another size. And the Robusto was a line extension that was introduced a couple of years ago. Um, and when that cigar hit the Robusto size, um, it was a masterpiece. Um, who says that James Brown cannot blend a Connecticut shade cigar? Mm-hmm. You need to smoke this one. Uh, mm-hmm. It is just... Uh, it is just, in my opinion, um, fantastic. I have best cigar value because what I did is I looked at my top 30 and I said which cigar based on where it ranked on the list versus the cost. And the cost of this cigar is um, it basically is pretty reasonable, 1050 It's ranked number one based on how I did the calcul- I did an algorithm, which, if, you know, what do you, think, what do you think about the algorithm or not? Uh, I'm very proud of the best cigar value list, by the way. Very proud of that. Uh, and a lot of people have been giving me great feedback on that. So there it's will be... a really cool analysis of your top 30. Yeah. It's a really interesting analysis of your top 30. Yeah. I'm very proud of it. Uh, it's people have really said, it, like I said, what cigar got the best bang for your buck? Uh, it's basically for 1050, I was able right. to get something at number four. And again, yeah. this was a risk that had an average price of $19. 
um, on this. Uh, not a sponsor. Not no samples. Boxes bought of this. I was raving about this cigar early in the year, and I think you started around the same. You and I started smoking this around the same time. Yes. So, Bear, I'll just kind of spoil it right now. Uh, we're up to your number three, right? Or are we not yet? Uh, no, I have to do number four. Okay, but real but, quick, but quick was... I have a quick question about your top yeah. value list. Uh, yeah. your... What gave you the idea to actually do that analysis of your top 30? Well, so what happened is um, I've seen value lists come out. It's solely based on price, right? But okay. it didn't incorporate how the cigar performed. Now, the problem was I could have done it based on the numeric score. This got a 91. But most of the scars are very close in scoring price. So I needed to do something that would differentiate it. This kind of landed at number four. And I wanted to show, okay, if you're looking at my list, what's the best bang for the buck on the list is really what it came down to. Um, And... That's how I came up with this. Um, I had a different way I calculated the algorithm beforehand. It didn't work well. Um, so I wanted to kind of say, and basically what it, what it does is it takes the ranking and it divides the price out on it. Um, and that, that's how it, it does it. So I mean, it takes the price and divides the ranking on it. And uh, so if you're number one, you get 30 points as a ranking. If you're number four, you get 27 points. So I basically just calculated, I just did a division there. Saying, okay, how much does it, it, it's kind of, you know, you know, when he gave me the idea was Aaron Loomis because Aaron does, does the like, uh, points per dollars per point thing. Mm -hmm. It was kind of the same thing, but I, I, I did it just on the ranking because it's, I could do it for, it was just going to be too hard. And I want people to kind of go in that list and say, what was the best bang for the buck there? I'm really proud. I'm really proud of this. Um, and I've got, this is like, I, this is, I think the third year I've done it this way. Do you do it? Do you do you exercise the algorithm across all the cigars reviewed, or just your top thirty? Just the top thirty, because it's based on how it ranks in the top thirty. Okay. So almost the the way it always works is the number thirty cigar always always comes out at the bottom, right? But we'll talk about a cigar that was higher that ranked way at the bottom in terms of value because of the cost of it. Yeah. So here's the Makes idea: sense. if you have if you have two cigars at number four, right, and one costs ten fifty and one costs eleven fifty. Which one's the better value? It's it's the 1050 one. So that's kind of the concept that was trying to be done with this. Sure. It's not that you, I could argue, I could probably go through the scoring list and it would come out very similar. But this gave a little more room with it is what I'm saying because everything's so close with 90 to 92 on the list. So that, that's kind of why I did it. But like I said, on top of that, I love this cigar. I think it's one of the best cigars James has done, by the way. Oh, I agree. Yep. Obviously. But, yep. Yep. So I know we'll, we'll talk a little more about it when we get to yours as well. Um, but we have a uh, number four cigar we have to do for you. So let's pull that one up. Um, now, this is the one I disagreed with a little. I'm going to be honest with you on this one. Fine. Um, but that's okay. It didn't <laughs> do terrible on Coop either. Uh, it was... You know, I'm I'm sure we could disagree. That's that's totally way. But uh, you had a different experience with it than I did. Um, and this is a cigar. They are a sponsor. So, uh, but I know we bought boxes. We all bought boxes of this cigar. It just went yes. a little lower with me. And this is a cigar. This is the final cigar from Alec Bradley. Like, uh, 
was it the final? It was the final. Yes. It was the yes. final cigar by Alec Bradley. The and it was the final blend that Alan Rubin worked on. Yeah, the final. Mm-hmm. It was the double broadleaf Grand Corona. Mm-hmm. Which, double broadleaf uh, Grand Corona by Alec Bradley Cigars. Uh, yeah, uh, an outstanding cigar. Uh, really, really, this is probably the best uh, broadleaf cigar uh, that I've smoked with broadleaf that's not made at in Connecticut. That's I, I agree. Connecticut. I, I agree. Maybe the Warhead's the only other one I would say now. But uh, this was an 89 on Coop, so it didn't do bad. I'm just saying it was a little higher maybe than I would have had this one. But but nonetheless, I know, Bear, you were really into this cigar. Yeah, super into it, man. Uh, the moment that, uh, that that Bradley gave me one at the trade show a couple of years back, I smoked it. I fucking fell in love with it. And I had a different size at the time. But this size, the Grand Corona in particular, was just a, a size that really captivated me. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it's it's a it's a truly fantastic blend. Um you know, Alan Rubin gave me a really nice note when I sent him the email about about the cigar pl- uh, placing on my top t- my top ten. You know, and it was the final blend that he worked on. Oh, you, you know? so you you actually messaged Alan on this? Yeah, I messaged all of them. Yeah, I messaged yeah, nice, everybody. Nice job. That I, nice. I have contact information for. So, um, but yeah, I'm 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 lucky to have a lot of uh, a lot of relationships with Alec Bradley, hence the background behind me. Um, and uh, we Hats have off great... to John Lipson and Bradley yeah. Rubin John and Alec Lipson, Rubin. Bradley, yeah. Alec, oh, Alan. They've been great supporters of ours. Um, Justin, who demand Justin demanded a recount, by the way, on uh, my top ten. But uh, but uh, I, I went ahead and did that just for him. And yet the shocker, this still came in at number four. Well, so, sorry, you Justin. didn't fuck this one up, Justin. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, Justin. Uh, I know Justin's very high on this cigar yeah. too. So. Message Victoria as well. You know, she's a fantastic partner for, of us for us in the media at, over at STG. So, um, yeah. So I uh, glad to see it on. I'm glad to see it on. I know you were very high on this cigar. Yeah, really love it, man. I just think it's a fantastic blend. Very unique, uh, very unique flavor palette. Um, and uh, it, it's probably it's probably next to the Mundial. It's probably my favorite Alec Bradley cigar. Um, you know, uh, and I I don't count the Gatekeeper in that because that's an that's an Alec and Bradley release. So I'm keeping that separate from from that you from that ranking. Was this the highest Alec Bradley ever for you? Yes. Yeah, so this is hot. I mean, and this is a yeah, good side. Alec, the highest Alec Bradley, yes. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you've had Kintsugi, you've had um, Gate, I had Gate, Gatekeeper at Alec, yeah. but that's Alec and Bradley. That's right. different, right? Mm-hmm. I had Kintsugi in my top ten, but but this one was kind of like a family project. Uh, I think Bradley mm-hmm. had a lot to do with this project too. Correct. Yeah, they so, did a fantastic job. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and uh, like um, the, you you're right on one thing. I think um, I've had mixed reaction with the non traditional broadleafs. I think Hector's done good with the warheads on this, but this is again an everyday regular cigar um, that's that you could uh, smoke. Uh, price point, I want to look at the price point real quick. I think it's a good price point for it. Seven by forty six. This is um, should be eleven fifty. No, eleven dollars. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, yeah, very. Re- it may have gone up since since I reviewed it, but. Seven by forty six, nice size too. It's a nice size they did. But Ben was the one I think, and I know I remember we all bought our boxes like around the same time of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my initial box was bought at the same time. So. Yep, yep. And if you go on a cigar coop, you can see all the box pictures and everything so, too. So. so no boxes were gifted to me. No, no uh, boxes cigars were gifted to me. Out of you know, cigars were gifted to me through trade show samples and a couple of other samples. Uh, a cigar was given to me at the Great Smoke. Um, 
but no no boxes were gifted to me purchased all of yep. them were purchased yep yep so good job with that like i said uh a little higher maybe if maybe that's not a knock i think uh based on i know you really enjoyed this cigar all right let's go to my now, number three just because it bears on the conversation a little bit all right number three I did change a rule this year on Coop. So in full, let's do my number three. Let's do my. Oh, let's do your number three. Let's do your number three. Yeah, you're right. Let's do your number three. So let me pull up your number because you didn't get a chance to talk about your number three yet. So let me pull that up. Um, and let me share that. There's got to be an easier way to have all these windows open. But all right, so this one, uh, we saw this a couple minutes ago. I thought this was going to be Bears number one. Yep, this is my time of the evening where I get to say Coop is wrong. So that's. But good. I was I was uh I was close. So, but there's yes. no partial credit here. Yes. Yeah, so. um, Horseshoes and hand grenades, Coop. Yeah, but Bear obviously great minds thought alike with this. We were very close where these cigars landed. So, uh, uh, again, we've had a lot of commonality on these cigars this year, more so than you know, even though they've been some been a little outside the top ten, I still had these recognized. Yeah. Uh. This cigar is incredible. Uh, so we talked about we talked about when I was speaking about Hector and his blending style and how it hits my palate. James Brown does the same thing. Um, James Brown is, is is almost never missed my palate. Yeah, I I enjoy almost all of his cigars. And when I say all, I mean I can count the ones I don't like on two fingers. Um, no, I'm not going to tell you what they are because that's that's not that doesn't bear any point in this conversation the point of this is that this this cigar is incredible and this this isn't just this isn't just an incredible cigar it shows it shows the incredible versatility of what james brown can do james is james is known for more fully bodied full strength cigars that kind of hit you in your face um and that's kind of been his mo he's also got a wonderful creative outlet in black works where he does that with some creativity and different tobaccos and the way they're designed and looked He's an incredible, incredible blender, um, and he yeah. knows he knows tobacco inside and out. He's a he's a master of it. He studies it, um, and he he. We are going to be. We've talked about this coop. We are going to be talking about James Brown in a few years. The way that we talk about Ernesto Perez Carrillo Jr. today, uh, absolutely, that's going to happen. That is going to be happen. That is yeah. going to be mentioned in the same breath. He is that fucking good. He knows what he's doing. This cigar is an absolute showcase of his versatility and his dedication to tobacco and cigar making. Um, this cigar is, is sensational. It is a yes, it is a milder cigar. It is not a mild cigar. Um, there is incredible depth to it. This this cigar really took George by surprise. He was not expecting. George loves Connecticut shape. Yeah, I was. Loves well, I was really curious when when you know I knew it was going to land. What George was going to think of this one? You know, you always worry about that one. Um, but man, he loved this cigar. Um, he loved it, yeah. And and I'll say this: I think I gotta be honest. I think the Robusto is the much better size. The other the other one is the uh, I can't remember the other, the other side. It's a longer, thinner one. It's a yeah. what is it? It's like a oh, it's, it's, it's like a Grand Corona or it's double like a Corona, Grand Corona, which is very Corona. good. But look at this one, Corona Extra, Corona Extra. I think Corona Extra. Yeah. You know, and here's the thing: you know, we this term Master Blenders, we know it's thrown around, right? But look at what James has been doing in the last 10 years, working with different tobaccos, working with different wrappers, keeping consistency up, right? 
and finding unique tobaccos too. Like he was playing with a, a, a specific strain of Dominican tobacco called Dominican Hutch. Yeah. Yep. Who the fuck deals with that shit? He does because he, he finds yeah. it. He's not quite at Master Blender yet in my book. I think he needs some more Coraline stuff, but it's developing. That's, I think, the one thing that he's a little short of right now. Um, you know, but Hector's on that same path. But I think James, like I said, he is he is living this down in, in Nicaragua right now. And I, I remember where he was 10 years ago. And he had a promise, don't get me wrong, but I, did I expect in 10 years to him develop to this level? Uh, you've seen him do it with Sumatra. You've seen him do it with Connecticut. You know, uh, he's done with Cameroon. He did Cameroon, with Cameroon, yeah. Broadleafs, obviously, uh, Maduro, Ecuadorian. Uh, so he is. He's even done some Corojo, by the way. So he is. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying he is doing all. He is checking the boxes. He gets a few more regular production lines out, and I think some of these limited. This was a limited originally that he brought into regular production. So correct. Yeah, this was a tremendous, tremendous cigar. When Serpents and Rainbows makes it to regular production, man, that shit's going to be lights out, man. Yeah. I fucking love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love this. I think Bishop's Blend certainly is worthy of, an, of, a, of a regular production. I think he's been smart not to do it. Uh, he makes it something that you want every year. Yeah. And this year he changed he, it up a bit. Um, he also had an honorable mention this year, too, with his uh, with his anniversary cigar. The, the 10th anniversary. Yeah, the La Madonna Negro. Yep. For me. Yep, he did. That was a limited. Yep. So he uh he did really well. Um he like I said what you know, I just like you know, this guy is the real deal. Mm -hmm. He's just such a uh, and he and he's humble. I don't think he's ne I never heard him call himself a master blender. Um but he's going to be one. We're going to be talking about him as master blender. We're going to be like, Ernesto is a great analogy. I think what well, I think that what what I really like about James and his humility is that James doesn't need someone to call him great to know what he's doing, to know that he's doing great things. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't need that validation yeah. of what, and, or at least I don't, I don't want to speak for him. That's a little, that's a little yeah. misguided. That's, that's the impression that I get of James is that he, he is humble enough, but confident enough to know that he doesn't need the validation. I think he's humbled by it when he when you tell him that he really that you really like his cigar he he he's really he's really appreciative and he shows gratitude toward your um, acknowledgement of his craft. Yep. But at this in the same breath, he knows it's good. He knows it. Yeah. He knows, he knows. it's good, yeah. and and that's and that's what you want to see, man. Like you want to see that kind of confidence in a blender, like. Like I think, uh, you know, I think, and and Hector's the same way. Yeah. Like he Hector is a very Hector's a very imposing figure. I've always I've I've always had this respect about. Him. Right. He's a very imposing individual. Uh, he's very intimidating. Uh, I remember the first time I met him. He's like that. Uh, I was yeah. I was I, I was just like and, and but uh, to me I I still say he's one of the most kind individuals yeah. that I've met, and and that's why I'm privileged to call him a friend. Um. Yeah. Um, but Hector, I can tell Hector, hey, Hector, I really, really like the scar. And he's again, he's very gracious. Yeah. Um, but he knows it's good. Yeah. Like, they he haven't knows done it's good. Yeah, Hector hasn't done a dud. James has not done a dud. Has has they all got nineties? No. But um that's just again, that's you know, again, you just see these guys. Uh we wonder who, you know, and and, and look, these guys are in the factory. James owns the factory. He's expanded the factory. Um it's uh, and he's a great interview, by the way, despite what some people have said. Uh, I, and you, I don't you, understand I, that. I, I was on, it, I was uh, we were at the media compound last year and I was I was kind of like I didn't feel like smoking 
Um, and I just sat myself in and I put on Bear's interview with James he had just done. And I'm like, this is freaking gold. This interview is all I kept thinking. I'm like, this is even Dude, better. He's he is the one of the most interesting people. Forget cigar people. Yeah. Just forget cigars for two seconds. He is one of the most interesting people you will ever meet. Yep. His uh, story is incredible. incredible. And his, it, 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 it's it's like Jonathan Swift meets Homer's the Iliad. That is the story of James yeah, and Angela yeah. Brown. That is the fucking story. It's crazy. It is yeah. nuts. Yep. He's building a really good team of, you know, reps as well. And I know you disagree with me on this to some extent. I think he is slowly turning Emilio around. Oh God. Are we going to go back to the shit? But would you agree with he's turning Emilio? Yes, well, I, I agreed with okay. you that night, Cooper. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying you were wrong in your choice. That's all I was fucking saying. Which one I would buy? Which one? I would, yeah. Uh, look, I, I because Emilio was a nice little brand of Gary Griffin's. He had some that, but James is turning it into a brand and a vision right now. Yes. Uh, yes. Which is and by oh and by the way, we should mention you know he blended your number oh, number one cigar of the year in 2021 with the dissident yeah, dissident rape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. Uh, he's done it. He's done it all. Yeah, he was an honorable mention last year. He was an honorable mention in a top three this year. Like I said, uh, I I would suspect uh, I would suspect that 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 uh, that he's got a good shot at my top ten next year. So that that's probably it. Uh, if you want to place a bet, it's probably not a bad one to place. I'm not saying I'm not giving anything away because it has numbers haven't been calculated yet. It's January for Christ's sake, but it's good stuff. He makes great things. I agree. I agree. Great All things right. are being blended here. Sorry to steal from Raphael. Well, great, great things, <laughs> great blends are happening here. Oh, Raphael's doing it too, by the way. We, we uh, thousand right. percent, thousand percent. All right, so no, that's not it. Problem is, my my, I had a, I had to encode all these file names so Joe Grow wouldn't find them on my website. <laughs> uh, give me a second here to pull up this one. Uh, okay, that's not it. That's not it. okay. Here it is. All right, so I changed. I started saying this. Uh, I changed the rule this year. I'll talk about why this wouldn't have been eligible in previous years. Um, and the number three cigar was uh, this is the only first time company to make my list of the thirty this year. So every other cigar had had the company had a cigar on our previous list, but this is the Mirafel Richard Double Robusto. I originally was not putting cigars in over $40 on this list. Um, but with the price increases, I, I opted before I even reviewed this cigar to just lift that last year. So like, for example, Saka's original unicorn didn't make the list. And it, I, but the times have changed right now. This is an $86 cigar. Um, this cigar is something really special. The Mirafel Richard Double Robusto. All we know is it has camera. We don't know much more about this. It's shrouded in mystery. But Jeremiah Mirafel comes out of the gate with this cigar. And he's done a couple of other blends right now. But this one stood the test of time. Did I buy a box of this? No. Will I buy a box of this? Yes. Uh, it's going to be a major investment, Okay. Uh, I bought four of these cigars. Um, I think I bought three of them from Jay. Uh, there was one I actually bought somewhere else. Uh, so there were four cigars. You could argue with me all you want. Um, but this cigar 
is something really special. It it takes it's it performs like an ultra premium. He calls it uber luxury. That's how this performs. It is an amazing, and I know a lot of people like the Mayer. The Mayer has been a little more accessible than the Richard. Now the this is eighty six dollars because of the packaging, right? So it's not going to be a big value. It, it was way down on the value list, right? But how can I say the best cigars I smoked, and not if I and it met all if it met the criteria? How can I not put this in the top three? And it's in the top three, and I stand by it. You thought it would even be higher. I did. I thought it was going to be your number two. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. But um, they have a bunch of other sizes. I don't think they've hit yet. Uh, but you can get those other sizes cheaper than the $86 one. I, again, I don't know how those will perform in the future. But I'm just saying, this is the best cigar. This is one of the best Cameron cigars I ever had. You haven't smoked it. I know you can't comment much on it. Uh, Jeremiah's but, listening. I'm, 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 um, my, my shipping address could be sent to him. So. I, I got a very nice message from Jeremiah uh, over the weekend. And uh, I had, because I had told, uh, obviously I told Reinhardt, um, and then his sister saw it. And then Jeremiah messaged me and he's like, wait till you try the earnest. You know, he's like, <laughs> so he's like, you're, you're really love the earnest. So, uh, but the, the Richard is named after Richard Marifel, who is, if you want to know why we have all the great Cameroon tobacco today, uh, that was Jeremiah's late father, passed away way too young. Uh, but Richard really is the guy who brokered that Cameroon tobacco, and it's all the great Cameroon tobacco was brokered by uh, Richard Mirafell, and now Jeremiah is carrying this one over. I can't wait for you to smoke this cigar. When I get a box bear, I'm going to gift one to everyone on the team because oh, I will sure. buy a box. I did not buy a box for this, so I'm just going to be honest. Um, this was a hard cigar to buy a box for, and uh, it just was. I just couldn't wait. But I had put one of these aside for the re-smoke. Actually, I'm sorry. I put two away. I did two for the review, and I did two for the re-smoke with this one. And uh, I love it. This is just an amazing cigar. Great size. Everything came perfect storm. I stand by it. Words, it worth every cent. Okay. So let's go back to bear work. You're two, right? Yes, sir. All right. Uh... And I think this is one uh, George was pretty impressed with this one as well. This was George's favorite cigar. So for the second year in a row, my favorite, his favorite cigar in my top 10 was my number two cigar of the year. Uh, look, you can't argue about this. The Maria Lucia uh, Magnum uh, by Luciana Cigars. You, you can't yeah. argue. Uh, missed the list. Scored an 89. Um, but that's you know, 89 on Coop is above average, by the way. So, um, but nonetheless, um, Bear, I knew you were high on this cigar the day you had it at the trade show. You yep. came out of it saying it was the best cigar at the trade show that year. Yep, thousand percent. You thousand predicted percent. it was going to uh, be the best cigar at the trade show, too. and it was a big mm -hmm. hit. This cigar was a was a monster hit at the trade show. Yeah, and it's carried over to Lines Expanse. So I'll let you talk now. I've talked enough about that. Yeah, yeah, no, I I love this cigar from the moment I smoked it, um, and continue to smoke it. And I bought a I bought tons of boxes. I I still have tons of boxes. I have some of the original blend. Oh, you bought I boxes? Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, I bought, bought multiples. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I was gifted one box uh, by Luciano, um, 
and uh, the most of them have been bought. <laughs> I bought from Jay Davis. I have bought from Michael's Tobacco. I have bought from. Uh, I bought from uh, Cigar Hustler Mike. I bought. I bought a ton of these boxes, man. Uh, I and I smoked through a ton of it too. Uh, I have smoked the original release, and I smoked the reblend too. Um, that's probably the only controversial bit about this cigar is the fact that it did actually go through a reblend. Uh, just because it did change factories. Um, we all know that story. I'm not going to go into it tonight. But um, but Luciano did Luciano hit a home run with the cigar. It's it's incredible. Uh it's and I what I really like about it, we were talking, I actually had the privilege of interviewing Frank Cassio, his partner with uh, his partner, one of his partners in foreign affairs cigars on Sunday. Great interview with a uh, rising star in the industry who just recently got a top twenty-five from Cigar Aficionado. So Luciano and Frank team up and Mike team up to, to create a top 25 uh, ranking for, you know, uh, the cigar fish, not a list and their foreign affair. Um, and um, I, um, I, I, I love this cigar. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and the only, there's only one reason why it's not the number one. And that's because there's a number one cigar that yeah. we'll get into in just a few moments. But um, I'm, I knew this was going to be a top three cigar the moment I smoked it. The moment I smoked it, and yeah. I well, you were you were high on it right from the beginning. Yeah, um, there. This was a. This was a. This couldn't have missed, man. If you, there's no way. There's no way you would have missed it. If you're like Bear's going to put this in the top five. It was an easy bet. Put it in the top three. It was an easy bet. Um, it just. It absolutely hits on all cylinders. It's incredibly dynamic, uh, incredibly flavorful, insanely complex. His use of Peruvian tobacco in this blend is unparalleled. I know you're not a big fan of Peruvian, uh, Coop, but you know what? The way he uses it is he just did. absolutely he did. insane. He, he did in this one. I got to give him credit. And I absolutely love this cigar. And it's the original It's the original Vitola, uh, which is the Magnum. And uh, it's box-pressed, and it's insanely good. Um, and, yeah, man, I'll, I'll keep smoking the cigar. I freaking love it. Yeah, good job. Good job. All right. Amazing. Amazing I did lie to it with two cigars in the top ten, uh, five I didn't buy. Um, and by the way, Luciano is not a sponsor, by the way. And no, yeah, just to keep in mind. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Vahenegro is not a sponsor of Elfos from our takes, and he yeah. did not give me, and no one gifted me a box of the Porcelain Robusto. Yeah. yeah. No. Or any, or any cigars for that matter. Bought all of them. So this one I did not buy a box of, uh, but I bought a lot of these cigars, um, including a three-pack of the Tubos. Um, but uh, this cigar is about a $35 cigar. Um, so the box is about $875. It's a lot, right, for a 25-count box. Oh, uh, But I feel I bought – I probably spent about $250 to $300 on these cigars. I don't have a receipt, but um, – Anyway, let's kind of get to that one. Uh, it is a cigar that was dominating list last year. The Alfonso Extra Añejo. I had the number two size, which is a 5 by 52 Robusto. Now, in disclosure, no samples. And I bought several sizes of this cigar. So I'm not even including the sizes I didn't buy to make the list. Num I, I reviewed the number one and, and the number three as well. I didn't review it, but I bought a, a lot of sizes. So it's actually more than, it's probably closer to $400 I spent on this. Um, but I don't have a receipt. So what I will say is this cigar is, is just magic. Um, 
This is everything I would expect. This is the best cigar done by Nelson Alfonso. United Cigars distributes them, but Selected Tobacco is not a sponsor. And United Cigars is no longer a sponsor of Coop. Nothing wrong with that. So they're not a sponsor, keep in mind now, when this landed on the list. Uh, I think we all fell in love with this cigar. Uh, so like Matt Tobacco had this number one. Half Wheel had this number one. So I had it number two. That's 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 a podium finish for me. You get you get the plaque, you get a plaque for the top three. I I thought the number two size was the best. The robusto I thought was the best size. Creamy, complex, um, everything you expect from an ultra, another ultra great ultra premium. Deep. It's probably the deepest of the three. I love. I'm a Byron guy over Atabe. Which is not to say that's not a diss on Atabe. I fucking love Atabe. I'm Byron over Atabe too because it's more consistent. This is the deepest of the three. Yeah, the blend has got insane depth to it. It's a really, really complex cigar. Yeah, they're all all three are insanely complex. This is insanely deep though. Yeah, it is. Um, it is. Um, you know, this is using the two two stage aging. Uh, with the cedar rooms and then the French oak rooms, they did the Byron eighteen fifty similar, which which was actually number thirty. Um, look, this cigar had to wait a year to get to number two. It wasn't out long enough last year for me to acquire in a lot of them. It was actually a little tough to acquire them, um, but once I did, uh, this is this is an absolute masterpiece. This cigar. So, and I think this was another one that. A lot of the Coop team last year had is on that list of most anticipated releases. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right. We're back. We're down to our number ones. So I'll say this. Bear's number one, I think, will shock a lot of people. And my number one will absolutely shock nobody. So. <laughs> so. Right. But. This should, I should have figured this one out. Yeah. Uh, so let's go to Bear first. We'll, we'll get the. Uh, so Bear. Your number one cigar of the year, and I was really glad to see this company get a cigar of the year. Uh, a sponsor of Coop, by the way. So disclosure of that, but not a sponsor of Veloso. Correct. Here we go. It is the 20th Anniversario Edición Limitada, El Sueño by Gran Habano Cigars. Yep. Uh, I love Gran Habano. Right. I love George Rico. I love his blending. I love what he does with vintage tobaccos. I love the approach that he takes in some of his simpler blends. The Corojo number five is a staple everyday cigar for me. I have a box on hand nearly all the time. Um, Always on hand uh, because it's a cigar that I gravitate towards and really enjoy. Uh, George uses Colombian, uh, Peruvian, Costa Rican, uh, um, uh, 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 blends that really he really likes that citrus and floral component to a cigar and yep. uh and to tobacco and it's one of his staples it's his signature we talk about signature uh flavor profiles all the time his is a more floral and citrus forward note blend this is no exception to that i really love that this blend sings uh to me and it sings to my soul man it is it did it did uh and george and georgia brightman loved the cigar apparently Yes, he did. I mean, it wasn't. It was probably he loved your top three, but he was high. He was really high on this cigar. I didn't know how mm-hmm. he was when you announced it. I didn't know how he was going to react to it. I really yeah. did. Uh, but he had a lot of 
praise for this cigar. Honduran. Is this the first time you gave a Honduran blend number one? Correct. Yeah. So good. It was really good. Like I said, um, I was honest with you. Wasn't my profile. However, I'm going to revisit this size. I this cigar deserves a. You got a number one for it, uh, because you know I'm not the floral guy, and this was yeah. was more floral. But the more people I saw saw this at your number one, the more said, you know, bears onto something with this. Like this cigar really flew under the radar. It really did. Um, and, and but I I smoked a ton of this. Uh, I smoked uh, over. I smoked six boxes of the cigar over the course of my smoking period. That's a lot. I love it. I bought every single one of them. Um, George has gifted me cigars in the past, so he's gifted me individual cigar. He's gifted me two El Sueño specifically. Right. Um, but uh, no boxes um, were gifted to me. I bought every single one of those six, my own money, which isn't much. But I don't have, I don't have a lot. But I love it. I absolutely love it. I did. I love the job that he did on the branding. He wanted to sell you when you when you talk about celebrating an anniversary coup and you talk about doing something special to commemorate 20 years and 20 years in business and 20 years of craft making cigars. Uh, George Georgian did a fantastic job. You know, the branding speaks for itself. The blend in my mind speaks for itself. It's it's insanely worthy of that 20th anniversary label that he puts on it. Um, uh, Want to give a shout out to, to George. He was actually in a little uh, he was actually in a, in a little accident uh, recently. Oh, I'm he sorry. Was I didn't a, know that. Uh, but yeah, a little bike accident. Yeah, I've, I found it out. He was posted on Facebook. He's doing better apparently, healing quickly. So hopefully we'll we'll see George back up and running, uh, literally because the guy's doing like freaking marathons now. Didn't know if you knew that. He's like, yeah, that I know. That I know. He's insane. a great. Shape. He's in great shape. So um, so hopefully he'll be up and running literally and figuratively uh, soon. Uh, but uh, speak recovery and best wishes to our good friend George. Absolutely. But the cigar is insane. The cigar is insanely good and just insanely complex. Smoked so many of them. Um, love, love it. Absolutely love it. Recommend it. I think Coop to to put a point on it. I think this is a this this size particularly, which is the Robusto, will actually per, probably hit your palate a lot better than the other sizes. It is less there. The floral and citrus components are a little bit less mm -hmm. because which I didn't smoke this a little. And I did not up. smoke yeah. this size. It's a little bit more. The strength is yeah. a little more cranked up on the size, which is why I think you'll probably. I think you'll definitely prefer it. I don't know. I don't think you'll like it still. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to agree on everything, but I love floral and citrus notes in a cigar. You don't. And that's okay. Uh, that's okay. Um, but I mean, like I said, you, I think, you know, hearing your assessment, hearing George's assessment, I need to get another shot. Uh, and I will. And I'm, but I will say this. I'm not questioning this as a number one for you. Uh, just because it's not my palate doesn't mean like, that's why, you know, you, you associate with people's lists because people may like that palate. And I, Everything I've seen, like people talking about this cigar, I just haven't seen it reviewed enough by the media. That's why I want to like review this cigar. Yeah, yeah. Gran Habano unfortunately gets overlooked by a lot of cigar media. Um, it I don't appears understand. in Cigar Aficionado occasionally. Yeah, I don't um, he makes great. It's the cigars. second time he's made my top. He's the second time he's made my top ten. Yeah, blue, 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 and green was was on my blue list. Yeah, which is a great cigar, by the way. Great cigar. The blue and green is fantastic. That cigar, worthy of it, yeah. Uh, and he's one of my favorite guys in the industry. On top of it, very supportive of us. He's a small sponsor on Coop, but you know what? They always they support us. Doesn't matter. You're supporting us. Appreciate it. But not an Eloso sponsor. Yeah. I um, 
I'm I'm so I'm I'm still grateful for George. Um, he's given me a couple of interviews on my show. Incredibly insightful. Again, we talked about humble people in the industry. He's one. Of, he's one of those guys. There's a lot. There's a lot of humble people in yeah. this industry, but George is one of them. And then it, what's interesting about that is uh, George. George was super intimidating the first time I met him. The I thought the I same him, thing too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Kind of had that bald look. He, a little bit, you know. The, you know. But yeah. what, man, when you talk to him, it's it's a difference. And he's I, incredibly, I, yeah, he's incredibly kind. Yeah. And he's a, he is an incredible blender, and he looks at tobacco. He looks at tobacco with a lot, with a very, very different lens. And it's not just the tobacco they select for his blending. I mentioned his staples of, of Peruvian and Colombian tobacco. They, that's not the lens that I'm talking about. The lens that he looks at, he looks at vintages. Yes. And so he, he won't, you know, Corojo number five, for example, is a, is a staple for him, but they're like, if he's not happy with the vintage of the tobacco, you'll, you might see less of the number five come out because he just doesn't like that particular one of the particular components of it. Yeah. And, and he's it, not ashamed to admit it. And he's also not ashamed to the fact that he's actually, he, he, he will always be smaller and it's by design. Uh, it's not that he lacks vision or lacks ambition far from it. Um, he's got a beautiful creative mind of, on, on his shoulders and he just, he, he likes what he does in the way that he does. And that's the way he goes about it. And um, he'll never be big. Um, and that's okay. That's okay for him because he makes incredible blends like this one. It's insane. It's an yeah. insane blend. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. So fucking good. Yep. Yeah. I mean, these are cigars that just like, um, regular production cigars. These are all available uh, on your list, right? Cause there's no reason why, mm -hmm. like with my list, we're going to talk about my number one in a second, not as accessible. I'll be honest with you, but all bear stuff's accessible. You can find this stuff uh, at your B and M, and some of the key, uh, some of the key online retailers will have it as well. Blue Smoke of Dallas has this. Uh, Paladin Cigars in Fort Worth has this. Um, those are the two main purveyors that I purchased the cigar from. Yep. So. Yep. Absolutely. That uh, Nep Neptune Cigars as well mm -hmm. has it. Yeah. Uh, it, it, like one thing I'll say about bears is you can find all those cigars. You can find them. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why you can't find those cigars. So my list, okay, a little tougher. You know, Mirafol wasn't easy to find. Alfonso you could find, but yeah, you know, some of mine were tougher to find. So no surprise with mine. All right. So number one cigar, I, you know, everyone knows. I don't have to uh, I don't have to give any grand. Uh, it was, I'll just put the picture up and then you can see. Um, and number one cigar. From my father's cigars, the Labajou 1922 Cien Años Limited Edition Corona Extra. Hard cigar to get. Did I? Re but when you do a list like this, like I do, I review the when I do a year end. I do a year end review with my news. My list has to be a reflection of the year end cigars. This cigar, everyone knows who's, who's seen me knows how I feel about this cigar. Not only is it the number one cigar, it's probably the front runner for cigar in the decade right now. This is the, an absolute masterpiece by the Garcias. So the story with this, we went to the trade show last year, and we covered the My Father booth, which I didn't see a lot of people cover the My Father booth. We were we were given samples of these cigars. Um, I think we were given the Lonsdale size, 
the Corona Special, right? I think we were given the longer one. I smoked this cigar. I know everyone started smoking this cigar. We're like, is this cigar that good? Seth got his hands on this cigar. He's like, this cigar is that good. Um, I ended up getting this, some of the cigars. I got both sizes. The Corona Extra just hit me a little better. Don't be surprised if the other size lands on the list next year. It's still eligible. Uh, it hasn't been reviewed yet. This cigar, just so you know, multiple boxes, bought multiple singles. Uh, the retailers I could tell you I bought this from were, I bought some from Corona. I bought some from the cigar shop. I bought singles from Jay Davis. Um, I want to say I bought some from Neptune. Um, and I believe I bought five boxes of this. Okay. Of this size and one box of the other size. I've probably given out about two boxes of this cigar. So I, I kept a lot, but I gave a lot of these out. Uh, oh, I bought some up in uh, Minnesota also when I was visiting Matt and Garrett. Um, and, and I apologize. I can't rem uh, remember the name of the store. It's the one in St. Paul. So I apologize. I don't remember. So I gave Sodies. these to... No, it wasn't Sodies. Um, no, it wasn't Sodies. And I apologize. But uh, I gave it... Uh, when I met Matt and Garrett and Dave Burke, I gave these cigars out to them. Uh, you guys got to smoke this, right? My boss... I bought some of these cigars for. I mean, I I bought a shitload of these cigars. I smoked a shitload of these cigars. I've been on the hunt for these cigars. Ask Jay Davis. I cleared out his inventory. Okay. Anyone who says I didn't buy the cigars full of shit. Okay. Uh, anyone who says I didn't smoke the cigars full of shit. And anyone who says this wasn't the best cigar because it's not available in the stores anymore is full of shit. Because and I'm sorry to curse like that. This is a fantastic cigar. And if I'm going back and reviewing the best cigars I had in the last 12 months, this was the one by far by a landslide. Uh, they tweaked the blend a bit of the Le Bijou, and it's just a freaking home run. Um, I wish it was Legrio production. I wish it was. It's not. But this cigar, um, like I said, I, I don't have receipts for it. But I would challenge anyone to say this is not the number one cigar in my view of the world. Everyone's got a different view of the world, and that's why we have different lists. I don't know what you can add on that, Bear, but that's that's my uh, take. I'm really, I'm really happy with reason, this number. Yeah, I agree. The only reason it didn't make my top ten is because of its limited edition status. It's, and it's, you didn't smoke enough, and it was harder to get. This was a hard cigar to get. It went fast off the shelf. I Oh, Caribbean cigars. I bought some for trip at Caribbean cigars. How can I forget that? So I bought this cigar at so many retailers. I've gone into stores, and it, you know it. And look, when it was out, it was available, but they do go fast. I, I, you know, but I wrote an article today, you know, on on this cigar, and I put this cigar against any cigar in a blind taste, and I'm confident it would win it, including including your Gran Habano Bear. But that's that's not meant to be a disrespect. It's just it's a cigar I believe in, right? So, um. That that's kind of what I you know would say. It's just I feel I have I don't know if I've felt as strongly about a cigar in all the time you and I have met over the years. And I've had some great cigars, but this one I think everyone knew that this was going to be my number one. I was getting messages like, "When are you going to announce the 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 hundred años?" You know, wouldn't it be ironic if a hundred años gets cigar in a decade again? La Aurora got it with the Maduro. Yeah, that would be something for sure. I, yeah. I, 
It's 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 an outstanding play. It's the it's the um I I I've been thinking about this for a long time. It 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 is though. It it has to be and it is. It's the it's the best my father's cigar ever. Right. I wish it was regular I really wish it was regular production so more people could smoke it when it got number one. It's not. But it was absolutely the best cigar of uh, you know, I'm seeing people saying like Mike saying he's not a my father guy, but this one's fantastic, right? Um, you know, so Mike's been some great comments. Um, I've gotten like I said, most people who have had this cigar understand where it's coming from. Uh, and and I it took a little while. Why didn't it make the list last year? I didn't. It wasn't. It I didn't get to it in time last year. It was out for a hundred days, but I just didn't get to it in time. But for Seth to say when Seth came and told me how good this cigar was, uh, and the DP team that I knew I was onto something. Like, and Seth has been critical of my father for a while. So, so I was happy with it. I'm very happy with this cigar. Um, so the ones I have remaining are for, I, I think there's a couple people who are asking me for this cigar. I'm going to try to get them some. I am putting some away for Cigar of the Decade, though. So, so a few are needed for that. So, unfortunately, my supply is limited. It's much like Alec Brown. Bear, the final thing I'll just say is I did think about this year eliminating the limiteds, okay? I had a conversation with Eric from Dojo, and Eric made a really good point. A cigar like this, there was probably more cigars in the stores than some smaller brand that's regular production. So you can argue that there were more of these cigars, and that's not knocking a small batch company. I'm just saying there were more cigars available probably for some, and that's why he changed his rule about the limiteds this year. So in that mind, and you don't know if a limited is going to become regular production, so I, I haven't been comfortable eliminating it I would have loved to have had a regular production cigar number one. It would get me more publicity. People would be talking about it longer. Unfortunately, that's not how the, how it works the way I do it. And I'm very happy that this came out number one in the end. Uh, no, no greater honor. Well done. I, I look forward to giving it, I look forward to giving them number one cigar of the year at the trade show this year. I really do. Yes, that'll be insane. Uh, it was very special when we gave them factory of the year last year. So I really look forward to that this year. All right. But uh, for, I know a few folks have been asking me for this cigar, but I, I am limited what I have left to. Because <laughs> I've given a lot away. You know, that's another thing. I love when I have a number one cigar to get to give it away. I don't know how you feel, but I love doing that. That's the most special thing of all. thousand percent. Yep. But that's it, Bear. We, we I know we went long tonight, but this was a lot of fun. Indeed. I want to thank our audience as well. Uh, we did go through some of the shows in, like I said, two weeks, special edition 155, big game show, John Carney, annual tradition. Um, I don't know if we'll be smoking the football cigars. We have we had to pull Carney up a week earlier this year. Um, so hopefully we have him. But if not, I'm happy to talk big game with him. A lot of football we have to talk this year. So um, who knows? Maybe Bears Packers will be playing. So we'll see. <laughs> uh, God willing, man. Yeah. What an incredible, oh, by the way, what an incredible just, win. To, to kind of close out, I didn't message you on this, but I did message Matt Ty, and I said, I'll say this to you on the air. Big win by your coach. Yeah. That's the kind of win I expect in January. From So do I think he's a great coach? No, but let's see how he, you know, I, I can't criticize him. That was a big win. That was a great win. Well coached. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Indeed. All right. Anything else, Bear? 
Group, what an amazing top 10 you put together this year, man. So uh, did you. you should, I really you did. did. This was about happiest I've been with a top 10 in a long time. So uh, I'm happy. I, you, we did both a great job. We had so many cigars in common, too. Uh, so I thought it was great. Uh, seems like forever. Let's thank Mike and uh, Cody as well for coming on tonight. Um, if you didn't catch the beginning of the show, go catch the beginning of that show. Uh, we have some history. We have some sports. We have some uh, bears we talked about tonight. So all good. And we'll see everybody in two weeks. Sounds good, everyone. We'll see you uh, next time. All right. That's going to wrap up Primetime Special Edition 154 into the Annals of History for Tuesday, January 16th. Now Wednesday, January 17th in the Eastern and Central Time Zones. Thanks to everyone who hung in there. We do appreciate you guys. Love you guys. We'll see you next time. See you next time, y'all. Top 10.